But now it's the return of Bruce Forsyth with Play Your Cards Right. In Archive Lingo, Film and VT, we record on the sofa and sometimes OB. Round the archives is mildly appealing, it's time for us to start our spieling. Oh, what a lovely bunch of listeners, so much better than last time. And now it's time to welcome our contestants. Will you welcome please, Lisa and Warren? That's right, stand there, don't be nervous. And what's your name? Lisa, you just said so, you idiot. Quite correct, that's five points. And you, sir, what's your name? Warren, you great hairy fool. Honestly, I've never properly serviced on this show. And now it's time for our quick-fire round. If this nonsense goes on much longer, you're the one who's going to be fired. Very good. Now, for 50 points, name a bird with a long neck. Uh, I don't know. Lisa? Is the correct answer. Oi, less of that. Crop rotation in the 14th century was considerably... And stop nicking jokes from the young ones. All right, then. One final question. Was it a good idea to open the episode with this sketch? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, with fabulous star prizes, give or take the odd booby. Is there a word missing there? No. It's episode 14 of Round the Archives. One at 7.25, Louisa and the Major return to the Bentinck with a new guest for the Duchess of Duke Street. First, more family fun with Bruce Forsyth and the Generation Game. Hello! Hello! And welcome to episode 14. Of Round the Archives. Yes, hello. Mm-hmm. I'm Andrew. I'm Lisa. And Warren will be along shortly. shortly. He's not here at the moment. No, but he, he will be. He will be. Uh, mm-hmm. We've also got some new voices coming up yes. later in this issue most is exciting most exciting yes. to quote um, Peter Cushion, Cushion. Yeah. <laughs> I said Cushion did you? <laughs> yeah no okay. relation to Humphrey Cushion okay. I no. don't know a um, couple of corrections and sort of clarifications from, from last time mm-hmm. I did say Baddington at one point <laughs> instead of Paddington but okay. I suppose Baddington is the evil universe version of Paddington he's got a little goaty beard or something oh, right, and an okay. evil hat an evil hat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what an evil hat would look like, but okay. yeah. um, what, what does he do? Is he mean to Mr. Curry? Probably. Um, Womble's early episodes. Um, I, s- I said it features a fridge. It, mm-hmm. I've looked closely. Right. We've looked closer yeah, at it, and it, seem, it seems to be an oven rather than a fridge. Which you still wouldn't want children to get inside. No, I suppose not. No. Um, are you being served um, U.S. and Australian versions? Just to clarify. Beans of Boston, which is mm-hmm. the US version, mm-hmm. most of the names are the same apart yes. from uh, Mr. Bean. And, and but you've got Mr. Peacock, Mr. Peacock rather than Captain, Captain Peacock. Peacock. But you've yeah. still got Mrs. Yeah. Slocum, yeah. Mr. Humphreys, Mr. Lucas, Miss Brahms and so on. Mm-hmm. The Australian version, um, they do change, change the name. So you've got Captain Wagstaff, 
Mr. Randall, Mrs. Crawford, and so on, mm-hmm. and Mr. Bone. Which is really, yeah. really not, not subtle at all. No, but I guess <laughs> it would have been just completely unrealistic to have them having the same names as well as having exactly the same adventures. Yeah, I think John <laughs> might have actually suspected he, something. He might have got, got something there. Mm. But I think that's all the odds and ends. We'll probably mm. think of some more things as we go along. We probably will. Um, but yes, now Warren joins us on the sofa mm-hmm. to do the Generation game. Yes, and a tribute to Bruce Forsyth. Indeed. So, back soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're here now to talk about Bruce Forsyth. Yes. Yes. Um, and his most famous game show. Absolutely. Yes. Which is the Generation Game. Warren's Fine. here. Hello, yes. Warren. Hello, Hello Warren. Hello. And you have been watching with us the mm. Generation Game 1973 Christmas, Christmas special. Christmas yeah. special. Mm-hmm. So what did we make of, of this? It was very enjoyable. I think fan. Mm. Fantastic is yes. the word, isn't it? Yes. We laughed all the way through. Yes. Especially at the, at the end play, yeah. which was very funny. And everybody threw themselves into it with gusto. And that's the thing. Everybody is inclusive in it. They want <laughs> to be... All right, yeah, you go on the game show, but you, the more fun it becomes, the more people put into it, don't yeah. they? <laughs> they have excitement. They have fun. And everyone at home was sat watching. I don't know how you <laughs> used to watch it. Did you? I used to sit with the family and watch it. Did you sit in the family group and watch it? Because it was that kind I was of only show. one, so I don't remember. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm just trying to work it out because mm. I would have been five when this was shown, and mm. I definitely remember seeing Bruce on the Generation Game. Um, but Bruce mm. goes up to 1977, doesn't he? And then Larry mm-hmm. Grayson takes over in 78. Is that yeah. right? Something, I think, like, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but I definitely remember seeing Bruce on there. Um, because again, it's all tied up with like Saturday night memories, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, Doctor Who generation game, all of that. Well, it's a definite BBC mm. domination of Saturday night. It, it was almost like the Cosa Nostra TV company had take, broke, got Saturday night. ITV were never going to take it away during that gold. Well, I'm not going to use the golden age. Oh, don't say that. No. During <laughs> that period of time, the early 70s up until about possibly 78. They had the monopoly on Saturday nights, didn't mm-hmm. they? Mm. But why is Bruce so good at presenting the generation game, do you think? Is he's it... got empathy with yeah. the contestants. Yeah. And he's not afraid to make a fool of himself. Yeah. You know, he's not afraid to be the butt of the joke. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think we should explain how this show works yeah. again, because in- inevitably not everybody's ancient like us. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got um, the contestants are. Two people yes. who are related in some way. In some one, way, or not necessarily related. It could be um, mother-in-law and son-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. But they the have a relationship yeah. yes. of some kind. One's older, one's younger. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which works yeah. quite well. Um, yeah. And you do watch it. This one, particularly, the clothes mm. are interesting. But it's it's the age grouping, isn't it? We, yes. we were talking about the older members of the family are going to be from the war time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the next ones are going to be the baby boomers. Because yeah. one of the best people on there is an old mm. woman from... 
Corf Mullen. Yes. Oh, Who, which is local to where we are. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And she's not got her false teeth in. No, she she, <laughs> she really doesn't wear her false teeth because no. she sh- she's a chiropodist or chiropodist, as she insists it's yeah. pronounced. Yeah. And when she bends over to do people's feet, they fall out. Yeah. Why she couldn't get some, like, better poly- teeth. Poly grip or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or just some better teeth. And yeah. there's the other lady who who wears glasses, doesn't she, in the yeah. final sketch. And um, she keeps taking them taking off. Taking off to read something. But, <laughs> and then taking them off and then having to put them back on because she can't read the next word but line. The, the good thing about that is she's singing all the way through. Isn't she? Yeah. she takes her glasses off to sing, to read yeah. the words, to sing them from auto cue, yeah. and then puts them back on again. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but I think it works well because you've got two people who are at ease with each other. They're not oh, yes. stuck there yeah. on their own. If they no. were on their own, it would be a lot harder mm-hmm. for them to, like, as you say, make a fool of themselves. And that's yeah. where the magic of Brucey comes in, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Brucey yeah. will take anybody and he will build them up and he mm. will play them and he will play them along. And he has this wonderful way at the beginning, doesn't he, of passing... It's not criticism, is it? But it's yeah. sharp he'll do remarks. Look, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll do a look to camera as yeah. well. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, 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 there's, a, there's a camera that's always on him that mm. they can cut to yeah. for his reaction yeah. shot. Um, if they say something silly or, you know, drop or something. Or they've done something yeah. weird. Yeah. Or... But let, let's quickly sort of zoom through what games they've got to play. Because mm. um, they've got e- each pair of contestants they play two games they play two yeah, games, two games. Yeah. Um, and then the people that get through the two games play in the final game which is usually, usually especially play, at Christmas yeah. a play yeah. Yeah. and you, you have a your construction game like for this <laughs> one it was creating Christmas crackers Yeah, but <laughs> um, famously there's the potter's wheel isn't yes. there or the meringue nest, as we yeah. saw. Or, or some pastries. Or, or making a mince tart yeah. Yeah. that yeah. Fanny Craddock has just made. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. But the, fir- <laughs> the first, well, I mean, one of the first games is they've got a load of famous, or well, semi-famous people dressed yeah. up yeah. as snowmen, snowmen and they've yeah. got to identify them. Who they are. Singing. Blue yeah. Peter snowmen, yeah. I'd yes. say, the way they were yeah. made together. We've well, got Frank Boff yeah. there. Derek uh, Nimmo. Derek Nimmo. Tony Blackburn, Tony, yeah, Tony Blackburn, Jackie Palo, yes, uh, and Stratford Graham John Stunt Double, and yes. yeah. John Stunt and, Double, but Jimmy half, Ellis. Half the time, these mm. people don't know who they are, so yeah. they have to write something down. So one of them's <laughs> written Sergeant Z cars, <laughs> yeah, and the other pair have, have written Stratford <laughs> Johns, yeah. and they take his head off, and it's Jimmy Ellis. Yeah, <laughs> now, given that Stratford Johns is about twice the size of Jimmy Ellis, yes. <laughs> yes. And also uh, another hmm. thing, as far as sort of uh, that generation, Jackie Palo. Jackie yeah. Palo, yeah. Uh, well-known um, wrestler. 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 Yes. yes. Thank you. Well-known wrestler who used to be uh, on the Avengers, didn't he? He did. On the Avengers. And he pops up in. Um, and are you being served? To box. Captain Peacock, and it ends up being Mrs. Slocum. So yeah, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Captain yeah. Peacock's scared to mm. fight him. Yeah. So he's one of these like celebrity wrestlers that yes. will just appear in stuff yes. for some yeah. reason and yeah. take the mickey out of himself. Yeah. But um, as you say, you've, you've got <laughs> my stomach going. Never mind, that's all right. You've got making Christmas crackers, which is uh, we're, we're going on it. It's just, yeah. yeah, from the lady from the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> She's not ready from the Titanic, we but have to say. I, I, I was thinking, what, watching this aged five, this mm. woman comes on and demonstrates how to make Christmas crackers. Mm. I've half a feeling that if I was five watching this, I think this was the woman that made all the Christmas crackers in the world. Absolutely. And she'd made your Christmas she'd crackers. She'd have made my Christmas crackers. And you, you could say, year. oh, look, Mum, she's made our Christmas crackers. Yeah. All the way that's the, the woman year, that made that's them. all she yeah. does, yes. Yeah. 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 But uh, that's quite fun. As you say, mm. you've got um, Fanny and Johnny, Johnny Craddock. Yeah doing well what were well, they doing making a mince tart mince, yeah. big mince pie yeah yeah now our friend andy davidson's a big 
fanny credit. He is, fan, yeah, yeah. He? he does a festive, a festive fanny, fanny from the first of December up to the twenty fifth of December. Yeah, and beyond yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and he'll put up fanny credit. Recipes, recipe. which look horrific. But, <laughs> I have to say, cookery. car cash cookery, yeah, like like just awful. But we're going off the subject. <laughs> Nothing right. about mm. a bit of fanny mm. at Christmas, mm. indeed. Uh, and then you've got the bloke doing the trick with the, oh, the table the cutlery, cloth. the tablecloth, oh, yeah. the old yeah. trick of laying the table and putting the that, cloth out. The and musical time. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But what do you say about his hair? He looks like he's got a wig on because he's got. He's got a Christmas he's hat. He's got a Christmas hat on, but it looks like the wig's gone askew. Under the hat, <laughs> and there's more one side than there is the other. But everything is entertaining. Anyone that goes on there is entertaining in their own right. Mm. From the contestants to um, the the people who are demonstrating the bits and pieces they need to do, to the fact that the final set piece panto piece with, of course, you got to mention the great, yeah, the one and only Frankie Howard. Frankie Howard. Yeah. Doing Frankie Howard as only Frankie Howard can do, <laughs> as, as the what was as the ugly sister or the dame, isn't he? He's yeah. the he's a baron, he's and the then he comes baron. on as yeah. dressed as in drag. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but then you have the thing where people who are not actors yeah. then have to act out a play. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and this is some of the real gold material, yeah. I think, isn't it? Because you've got the old man and then the mm. younger bloke yeah. both yeah. having to do Frankie Howard and doing it really well. Yeah, yeah, really to, well. To one point mm. where one the young lad goes off, Brucey turns to the camera, doesn't he, and says, <laughs> "Frankie will be furious. He's doing Frankie Howard better than Frankie Howard," <laughs> which is brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, we we did look at a 1990s episode yeah. 1990 episode yeah, yeah the first one when it yeah, when it, it came, came back, back with bruce mm. as he said 13 mm. years since i last mm. did it and it's interesting to compare the contestants on the 1973 one yeah. with the 1991 yeah i mean apart from sort of fashion and hair and things like mm. that and i know lisa this is one of your things that yes. you're very good at spotting the year of, <laughs> of the, the year of a game show based based on hair and, and clothes and clothes yeah. and things well, like I'm that. Well, I'm a girl. I'm good at that sort of stuff. But you said also mm. Warren set design as well. Yeah, that, yeah. That it's it, it really is 1973 in a nutshell, isn't it? Just mm. by the colours on the set. But mm. If I can just throw something yeah, really yeah, quickly yeah. in here. In the background at the moment, we've got the 73 to refresh us. But I've noticed all the men are wearing shirt and ties. Yes. All oh, right. Okay. And that is a yeah. very generational thing. Apart isn't it? from yeah. the younger guy, he yeah. doesn't. The younger guy doesn't wear. Oh God, he's the woman with the teeth. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> her son has got and, a, a collar and tie, tie on. on. But yeah. yet you go yeah. forward to the nineties; it's all very casual yeah. yes. and very, very. Sort Apart of... from the older members, the older men again who are yeah. wearing shirt and tie. Yeah. And Which is what my dad would have done. Yeah. If I'd gone on, because I always wanted to go on Generation Game with my dad, because I always thought he would have thrown himself into it and he <laughs> would have worn a, worn a shirt and tie, because yeah. that was what you did to look smart. Absolutely. You know, he, he wore a, a, a smart shirt to go out shopping, for God's sake. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the, so the 73 one and the 1990 one. Do we think the people on it in 1990 are much more media savvy? They're a bit more media savvy, but once these people start to relax, mm. which Bruce gets them to do, yeah. they throw themselves into but with this, equal this, vigour. This is the thing. Bruce is juggling a lot of sort of... He's spinning a lot of plates here at the same yeah. time, which I think his technique is very good. And he does mm. it with such ease as well. Mm. He's, he's, you you know, he's, he's got, like a he's, swan. He's, he's got to... You can't see the paddling. He's got to make the people feel relaxed and uninhibited. This is the thing. This is the generational change, isn't yeah. it? From um, the 70s up to the 90s. In the 70s, we were still very... 
wary of television. Yeah, very wary. And yeah. it was all very starched still, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. By the time you get to the 90s, everyone wants to be that star for five yeah. minutes. People are more aware of a camera, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, so Bruce has got to keep the pace of the show up as well and entertain the audience at home. So, and and the studio audience as well, because we yeah. see there's a studio audience. It's not a huge studio. No, audience. they've all got party hats on. I, and but... I was surprised how small the studio was. Mm. I really yeah. was. I, I don't know. I don't know where mm. it's taken. Oh, and but... I'm just looking at this now. They're talk- still talking to the mother and son from Dorset. He's got a proper Bobby Charlton haircut as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's all spammed over yeah, his hair. When he bends right. over, you can yeah. see you can yeah. see the hair. Can't it you? looks yeah. fine from the front, and then he bends over, and you can see that He's there isn't like actually. <laughs> and then the younger one. That's a proper 70s that's, outfit. That's a 70s footballer's hairstyle as yeah. well. And because he's got the jumper <laughs> and the big collar and the flares. Fantastic. Yeah. But taking the clothes yeah. away from it, <laughs> 73 episodes stands up for entertainment value. Mm. I think I think this is by far the most entertaining one of the bits and pieces we that watched, we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the 1990s one is slick. There's yeah. no... There's no, but there's, it's less laugh out loud funny. No, I think. we were crying yeah. watching the seventy three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's some, there's something about the amateurism, is it? Is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's always pantomime. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. So the, the, there's people being thrown in the deep end, but they're having a good go at they're it. They're having yeah. a go, you know. Yeah. They're keeping up, you know. And, and they're they're not coming across as being stupid. No. No, mm. but you know, you're feeling. And and we said this is another thing about game shows. You have to care about the people that you're watching by the end of the show, don't you? You Absolutely. have to care that they win or not. Yeah. Um, mm. And we, 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 you know, because we watch them play your cards right as well. Mm. And these are people you've never met, but by the end of it, you on care the ter- if they on win the turn or not. of a card, yeah. you, you, you're really wanting them to win the car or whatever. Yeah. For a thirty-minute game show like Play Your Cards Right, he whips up the audience mm. into mm. that frenzy. Just by turning a card, yeah. isn't it? Mm. I mean, I mean, this is this is. I mean, his technique is seamless, really, isn't yeah. it? That's yes. the thing. But it's it's riding on the back of an awful lot of experience, isn't oh, it? Absolutely. Yeah. From yeah. Sunday Sunday night at London Palladium, yes, mm-hmm. he's moving up within the television regime, mm-hmm. up into the early seventies, hitting the big style with Generation mm-hmm. Game. Now it's interesting that when Bruce leaves. Um, they get Larry Grayson in, who's yes. who's got a completely different style yeah. of doing it. More mellowed, yeah. Um, but he's still very good with the audience. Yeah, yeah. Cause, cause he plays we, off the audience. He, the pilot episode is online for the for, for the Larry one, yeah. and they've thrown an awful lot of guest stars yeah. at yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what was it? Um, uh, the identification round. Oh yes, oh, that, that was um, the yeah. negative photos. Yeah, no, the one with the costume. There's Arthur Mullard as Henry VIII. Yes. Oh yeah, and Arthur Jezebel. As- <laughs> Arthur, yeah, Arthur Askey as Richard the Third. And somebody um, they identify as Jezebel, played by what was it, Doris? Doris. Doris. <laughs> and it's Cleopatra, <laughs> played by, by Barbara, Barbara Windsor. Windsor. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that in wonderful in inability in, to spot in a Barbara people. Windsor outfit. Yes, yeah. yes with with. <laughs> Her assets on show. Absolutely, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, Larry's clearly nervous in the opening yeah. because but these are obvious Bruce's. It's big shoes to fill, isn't it? It yeah, is absolutely, and they're still using Bruce's music as well. Yes, yes which is not with the singing, but with yeah. the actual Just theme the tune. It was always yeah. a yeah. very very light light entertainment. Ronnie Hazelhurst thing. Yeah. It's the yeah. sort of thing you get on the record from the BBC. Yeah. It's not quite the theme music, but it's uh, it's there, isn't it? Mm. But yes, it, it's it's interesting that they keep the format going, yeah. but then 
Larry has the problem that he can't use any of Brucey's catchphrases yeah. no, as well. No, so he can't say, didn't they do well? Yeah. So, he, I mean, it's actually telling, because I wondered what he was going to say when they did the conveyor belt at the end. Mm. And she, the, well, uh, the person won a lot of prizes. I was thinking, oh, what's he going to say? And he's like, oh, what a lot she's got. And that's yeah. actually quite clever because yeah. it fulfills the same thing as, oh, didn't she do well? Yeah. But it's not that. But it, I think it's interesting that the, the show was originally designed around Bruce. And if you take him away... <laughs> Yes. How does that alter the show? And mm. it, it it alters it noticeably, but the format itself still still actually does work. Yeah. And it, it still works yeah. to the fact that they're actually going to be bringing it back again. Yes, yeah. I mean Very there's soon. There's, a, there's a Jim Davidson reincarnation of yeah. it in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. never mind. Uh, <laughs> <But> <laughs> so Jethro was just, quite just funny. Go, on yeah. that. quickly to Larry, if you don't mind. Yeah, just sure. Very briefly. The use of the assistant where we had Anthea Redfern mm. did did the introducing of the guests and bringing them on um, might appear in something briefly, but Isla St. Clair takes a bigger chunk yeah. Yeah. in the Larry to support Larry in his initial stages. And yeah. the, I think the pilot I think was just yeah, really the good idea. one is very much Brucey's show and yeah. Althea will come on, and give us whereas a they're more yeah. of a team... Yeah. With Larry and yeah. Isla, I yeah, think. Mm. yeah. I mean, I don't know how that progresses. During I can the... remember the um, her, him and Isla doing. Do you remember where the American soldiers came on and oh, did what, the marching? marching. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. And they would always. So, I, I, from the memory I have, is Isla and because Larry's Larry, all over the place. Isn't yeah, he? yeah, they always took part in something. Yeah, because they were swinging. Mm. Were they doing the swinging of the things? Oh, the Maori, the London Mar- Maori. Maori. Yeah. Maori. Yeah. 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 Balls on strings. Balls, balls on strings. Cotton yeah. balls, yeah. Yeah, and, and Larry has a go and he's just equally as bad as the contestants. Yes. I'm not sure Bruce would necessarily have, no, I don't think Bruce have been that no. bad. No. Bruce would probably be fairly good at it. But, yeah, um, yeah with, with Larry, he's, he's sort of at the level of the contestants almost sometimes. But Brucey does jump that gap, doesn't mm. he? He bridges that generational gap. Because the, the the established audience of parents yeah. will look and know what they're getting with Brucey, and the kids will like the entertainment from Brucey. Yeah. We should say about the conveyor belt as oh, well, br- belt, briefly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the it's the tradi- traditional thing of um, <laughs> they're just shooting through a bit of hole in the set basically mm. and it's a conveyor belt that's what about four foot long yeah <laughs> sometimes you can hear things falling off the end <laughs> so you can see the shadow of the bloke. Shoving it all shoving on, it on at one yeah. end, and yeah, one of the <laughs> clips that we saw, some it definitely falls off at the end. <laughs> Something heavy and expensive, <laughs> but it's a, it's a real like consumer look yeah. at the seventies uh, with all the bits and pieces of tat. It has to be set. <laughs> yeah. Because what was the like? The, what was the deck chair one? Was oh, it's like a fold-up chair. Fold-up chair. Was it Larry one? But it was a single fold-up chair. Yeah, just one. Yeah, one. One fold-up chair that probably falls over when you fall. You and what was it? The, the carving plate and knife and fork. Yes, wasn't it? and yeah. it's, it's some wonderful tat, and, and they and a tea maker with timer. It's yeah. all right, okay. Yeah. But that's Which thing. is like a tease, mate. It's not about the prices, is mm. it? It's about the taking no. the part. Taking the part, yes. People aren't on there for the £1,000 worth of prizes, no. which is what people do nowadays. I'm on there, I'm on there for the money. We're going to get this. We're going to reach that. We're going to get the who wants a millionaire uh, top price. It's not about that. No. It's the fun, and that was the thing. It's the fun to watch, and it's the fun to take. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Would you love to do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it doesn't matter... It, uh, if you make a fool of yourself, which people 
don't care about it because whoever's done the research and has interviewed the people mm. before they go on there always seem to get it spot on. Yeah, again, the selection process is. I'd be interested to know how many people actually did apply. Yeah, um, I could imagine it was really over. Yeah, I, I've no, I've no idea. But again, it, it's it's something people don't think about very much because we always say about when you get somebody on a game show and they're really bad at it, you say, well, those are the ones that got through the selection yeah. process. Mm. Imagine what the people who didn't <laughs> were like. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a sort of... There is a bit of sort of science involved in picking the right sort of people that are not mm. going to be utterly out of their depths, but, but will... BBM. Oh, it's the bloke with the hat. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> he's, he's got a green paper hat on, and and you can see his hair. Is that his hair? I'm not sure it's his hair. No. Okay. Other, somebody's hair it might be Debenhams. <laughs> the other thing about Brucey. Yeah. Brucey is the guy that you will invite into your home on Saturday night to share time with your family. Yeah. And that that is the big thing with Brucey. Yeah. He is. He's the real deal. He's the one you want in your home. Yeah. It's not a case of, I'm going to watch that because there's nothing else on telly. You really want Bruce Senior in your room, don't but you? But again, it was one of the centrepieces of those, of the of the the Saturday night schedule that's, you know, yeah. still talked about to this day. It has to be said that it was a rock-solid piece of yeah. scheduling, really. Um, I mean, it got viewing figures that the BBC can only dream of yeah, these days. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Right, well, thank you. No, okay. thank you. Anything more to say? It's been no? a pleasure, no? hasn't it? It's been a no. real pleasure watching yes, these. It's been great fun. Okay, thank you yes. very much. Okay. You. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye, man. Thank you, Warren. Yes, thank you, Warren. Another lovely contribution. Always from good to have self. him on the sofa, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah. Now, you just wanted to say a few more things about Brucey. I did. Didn't you? I did. Because yeah. when the um, uh, the news came on about his death, uh, I was in the canteen at work, and it was a breaking news thing on BBC um, on the BBC News Channel, which shows what a big thing it is. And apparently, they had a news flash before Pointless telling people that might not have seen it on the news channel right. that he died. Okay. Um, so that shows you what a big thing it is and how much he was loved. But the general feeling in there was one of sadness. Yeah. And still the next day, people were very sad about it. And people that are sort of only 19, 20, who would have only seen him in Strictly Come Dancing, were really sad. Oh, yeah, it's really sad. He was really funny. He was a really, you know... You say they were doing his catchphrases. They were get the, the, On the no, Friday, they were doing, anyway. trying to do his catchphrases and getting them all wrong, which was... was oh, I, I, I was listening through... Sort of, I can't, you can't listen through gritted teeth, but you know what I mean. Gritted ears. Gritted ears. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it just shows you how highly he was um, thought of. Yeah. That everybody was sad, and so one of one of them actually told one of the young lads told one of the women, "Oh, have you heard Bruce Allsop died?" And, and it was, you know, like it was a really big thing, mm. which it was. Well, it was. You know, yeah. he was a show business legend, and he should remember be remembered as that. Okay. So, and that's all I have to say. I think um, something else that I'd meant to say at the start, oh, right, but actually okay. went out of my head. Right. Um, we'd said about Gordon Rollings and. Charles Pemberton, yes, um, doing, doing narration for the herbs, doing the herbs very voices, thing, well, things. Charles Pemberton taking over for that yes. for that video, video yeah. and mm-hmm. we talked about um, Gordon Rollings being in the John Smiths 
We are happy. Adverts. Yes. Um, his son, Justin, on YouTube has got the entire range of um, John Smith's adverts on there. Mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten how good they were. Yes. They are very good. They but, are. but his mate in them is played by Charles Pemberton. It's a small world. <laughs> so yeah. that, that, I think they must have, you know, when they wanted to do that Herbs video, they, they thought, well, we can't get Gordon, so can we get the bloke that stood next to him? Next to Gordon, yeah. and probably knows the tim- temporary yeah. resource. Yeah, that sort of yeah. Thing. so yeah, yeah. That, was, that was nice. But yeah, look yeah. look them up. Yes. But so, saying about, just before we go on to the next thing, about you saying about the John Smith advert, how good they are, the John Smith mm. adverts. Because it's, it's a very much a thing in the 80s that a lot of the adverts had a little storyline. Yeah. Well, the John Smith ones were individuals, but of course you got the gold blend couple, oh, which right. was a sort yeah. of a bit tedious, <laughs> really. It was like a mini soap opera, but I'm sure Anthony Head's very pleased because it gave me his big sort of break <laughs> on television. But yeah, it seemed to be a thing in the 80s that you'd have little storylines in adverts. Yeah. Right. So, little mini series. Little mini series. Yeah. Series, but, series whether, and serials. Whereas the... Um, the John Smith ones are very much like little playlists. Mm. Each one, but it builds up a world. Uh, it does build it? up a world. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So yes. They're, they're and worth... of course, the most fondly remembered one is the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The dog yeah. that could jump about. Yeah. yeah. But they're all on there. Have a look. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Justin Rollings' channel on mm-hmm. YouTube. Yeah. Seek it out. Yes. Um, now we're very pleased to have uh, mm-hmm. one of our new voices. Well, two yes. of our new voices, two new voices, actually. And we're staying on the subject of game shows. Yes. As Sue Perryman talks to. Her husband Neil about yes. being on Bullseye. Yes, in 1989. 1989. Yes, and um, so we can have a short. Yes, Sue, Sue, and Neil will be here after the break. Yes. You missed your band of John Smith last night. My sister was teaching me French. La porte. What's that? The door. What's my pint of John Smith's? Is tinged with the colours of a sunset over Scarsdale Crag. Don't know. Well, there's no good knowing the advanced stuff when you've learned the basics, is it? John Smith's bitter. It is good. And we apologise to viewers who may have missed last week's Bullseye, which was shown at an earlier time than Build. Now in stereo, the last in the current series of Bullseye. <laughs> So the first round to Jim. So in about 1989, I ended up on Bullseye because my uncle Ray came round our house one Sunday for dinner. We were watching Bullseye. And he said, Sir, we said we should do that. So yeah, okay then Ray. So my uncle Ray was a, a he was supposed to be a bit of a quiz expert. He used to do all the pub quizzes and he said, Shall we do it? And I said, Yeah. And we did it and we went in for it. And and you were the dark player? Yeah, well when we went for our um, interview, kind of our audition. They took one look at me and thought I was going to ask the questions because there wasn't very many women played dart, you see, around that time. And I think, as soon as I picked my dart up, they went, yeah, they're on. Because it was crazy to get a woman playing bullseye. So not many dart players. So it wasn't down to you, it your wasn't uncle, Ray's 
quiz knowledge. I don't think so. Which is reflected in what happened in the programme itself. I, but anyway, we're skipping ahead there a bit. So, um, did you have to go for an audition process? or? So to get on board, I went through this audition process in uh, Darlington, Blackwell Grange Hotel it was, and we went and they kind of got us in a, a set of six people and they just kind of talked to us. So yes, yeah, so it was like two sets of people, three sets of teams, like six people, and we just kind of went through a, a dummy run. But we, there was a dartboard there and I threw a few darts and he asked a few questions. And I think they thought, oh, well, yeah, a woman, she's on, that'll do. So where was the programme recorded? and? Can you tell us about the actual day itself and how you got there and all the rest of it? Try and just, just tell us the story of the day. Do you know, I can't remember. I think it was, was Birmingham. It was Central TV. Central TV. It was definitely Central TV. I think it was in Birmingham. And it was me and my Uncle Ray and our Karen and my Auntie Vonnie. We all went down in the car. It was great. Uh, we got there. We um, had a little run through. Met Jim Bourne. Met um, Tony Green. What were, they, what were they like? Oh, Tony Green was a bit of a... Li well, he has, to, he, has to, he has to take me out, actually, Tony Green. Yes, if I wanted to go for a drink with him. He was a bit of a charmer. <laughs> he was a bit of a charmer, yeah. Um, I obviously said no. What was Jim like? Jim was nice. We, we didn't get to talk to Jim very much, but um, he was funny. He said to me, Uncle Ray, he said, um, so Ray, he said, you've been knocked over twice, haven't you? And Ray told him the story of him being knocked over. He went, oh, that's great, super. <laughs> I thought, no. <laughs> but no, it was a good day. We got a photograph, we got money, and uh, yeah, it was good. So tell us about the actual the actual recording. Was it done as live? Yeah, it was all done as live. Um, we I think they did two shows a day then. I think they did recorded two or three shows a day, but we were the middle lot, I think. Um, and to be honest with you, you know, there's a bit where they give you the money. They don't really give you the money, you know. They give you a check afterwards, and which is a bit of a because I was like really looking forward to that. I thought, oh, I'm gonna, go. I thought, I want, I thought, oh, I'll go and be able to put some fuel in the car, get get some food in. We had to wait for like weeks for the check to come. I was furious, and so, we would have gambled. We we didn't win. We came second. We won three hundred and thirty pound. Me and my Uncle Ray, and then they take you off into the little green room and they say to you, right, so if these don't get anywhere, do you want to go back on? We've said, yeah, yeah, definitely go back on to to go for the for the board <laughs> or for the car, or whatever. But we didn't get a chance because the people um, they kind of just went for it. So how do you feel about your actual dart playing on the day? Oh, I was terrible. I wasn't very good really, but I was better than my Uncle Ray. You, you did score a century, didn't you? No, I think I scored 65. I, said, I, did, I don't know, I can't remember now. But um, I did okay. I hit me. I hit the what I was going for mm. in terms of the questions on the board. But mm. my Uncle Ray, he, I mean, he's dead now, bless him. But it could have been a bit more... Um, because what Jim Bourne said, he said, listen, he said, if you don't know the first name, just say the second name. Right. Which is obvious, right. yeah? So one of the questions was... Um, Charlene Tilton, who played a particular oh, yeah. uh, on Dallas. Dallas, yeah, and he said, uh, I think I'm sure he said Darlene Tilton or something, instead of saying Tilton yeah. or Chilton, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, any other, well, how'd you get on with the other contestants? Any other stories that happened on the day that you'd like so, to tell us about? I remember, I remember watching back thinking, God, my hair's a proper mullet. I remember thinking, what was I wearing? Green and blue, I think. It was like just terrible. I remember going into makeup and um, the woman kind of, obviously she didn't do many women because obviously it was always the blokes. Um, but she said, oh, she said, oh, yeah, you're fine. You don't need too much. And she just let me go. So I thought, oh, well, that was nice of her. So did you get any time to like um, practice? Did you have like a dummy run at it? Yeah, yeah, you, you had a little dummy run, but it was not the same as kind of, <sighs> we had a little dummy run. It was like a board up um, and we had a little one walk through. 
So basically we had a rehearsal, mm. and that's when we had a chance to throw the darts, but it wasn't really a, well, I can just practice, 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 practice. Mm. It wasn't like that. Was it very competitive? Well, yeah, we were playing for money, of course it was. How much money did you win, do you remember? I think we won £330 between us. 160 quid each, I think it was, or 155 pound each or something. What did you do with your share? Oh, God, I can't remember. Probably bought Nicola Pram or something. <laughs> I don't know. Super smashing great. Oh, super smashing great, yeah. No, it was good. It was a good day. What I remember the most about the day, though, was actually in the green room afterwards, and I was talking to somebody called Grundy. Obviously, he was Grundy Grundy, the guy who does... His name was Grundy Grundy? No, no. I think it's Ted Grundy. He does all the formats. Right. I remember talking about snooker, because obviously dart is a working-class sport, isn't it? Mm. Well, it was then. And in our family, we all played dart, and my dad played snooker. And um, he said to me this... I think, I'm sure it was Ted Grundy, but it was definitely his name was Grundy. And he said to me, have you had a great day? I said, you know what? I have, actually. It's been really, really good. He said, do you like darts? I said, love darts. I said, but you know what? I said, you could do something like this with snooker. He went, well, you can't really say because not many people can play snooker. I said, no, I said, you get people to, like, do the shots. I said, and you get people like us who, who aren't very good to do the questions. Are you saying you invented give us a break? Do you know what? In my head, yes. <laughs> to this day, I'm responsible for that format, I think. Nothing to be proud of. <laughs> no, I know, but you know. <laughs> Which actress plays Lucy Ewing in Dallas? No light on. Put your light on. Bull is in. We can offer it to Ray. Darling Tilton. Sorry. Ray, we can, it's, it's Charling Tilton. Yeah, yeah. Awfully sorry about that. Very close. Which yeah. leaves the scores exactly as they were. Which means at the end of game two, we've got Alan and Andrew with £160. George and Jim, £477. And Ray and Susan, £330. So we've got to say cheerio to Alan and Andrew and Ray and Susan. In you come, the four of you. Come on, Susan. Well done, Andrew. All right. Harder than it looks. Oh, yeah. You say that again. It is harder than it looks. You sit at home, don't you, and say, well, I could do that. Not as easy as all that. Alan and Andrew, £160. I shall count out. 330 for Ray and Susan. Keep your eye on the game. We may need you later. All right. You've been a smashing lot to be here. I said smashing, just for the viewers. See you in two minutes. And thank you very much to Sue for yes, her memories of appearing on Sue. Bullseye. And thank you to Neil for interviewing. Yeah. Um, I think that's the first time we've had uh, a, a game show contestant on here, as far yes. as we know. Yeah, very exciting. Um, but a few words, a few extra words about Bullseye as mm -hmm. well. We've just got episode one playing in the background yeah. uh, Warren held, why did you hold your hand up at that point Warren for the yeah, opening titles there were several points standing out it was quite cold obviously when they did the animation oh, yes yeah, so some, some animated ladies in the um, yeah, in the title sequence in the title sequence mm. and yes um, they have um, it was quite cold yes, yes I think that's what we say yes those mm. ladies seem to disappear later on in the in, 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 in the course yes, of the yes. series they seem mm. to be edited out but um yeah, Lisa, you have memories of watching Bullseye, I do have memories of watching Bullseye, because Bullseye was on a Sunday night. Yeah. Sunday, about six o'clock, something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I used, my family used to watch it, and I used to watch it whilst doing my homework. Yeah. Ready for school the next day, which is probably not the best time to do your homework while you're watching Bullseye, because <laughs> you're probably not paying attention enough to your homework to actually be doing it properly. By the I used to sit on the sofa, homework up on my knees, and do my homework watching Bullseye. 
But you also said you had a dartboard as well. We had a dartboard that was on um, a, a piece of wood that would be hung over the kitchen door frame. So if you were going to go in and out of the kitchen, you had to say, I'm going in the kitchen. <laughs> so you didn't get darts thrown at you. And I'm coming out of the kitchen. Did you have any near misses? No, 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 they would stop. But you'd have to duck under it as well because yeah. you had to take up the sort of top third of the doorway. Well, well there's, there's the Hancock's half air where um, Sid's playing darts and Hancock comes in and nearly gets a dart in the face and he looks at the, he looks at the, all the holes around the board and he goes, <laughs> yeah. oh, that explains it. I've been treating that, that door for woodworm for the past three weeks. <laughs> but yeah. But you said, as you said, Warren, everybody had a dartboard. Yeah, I, re- I remember in the 70s um, that uh, friends, relatives, there was always a dartboard. Mm. Uh, and go- and I can remember still going to the pub in the 80s and darts was still a big thing. Yeah. Still oh, yeah. is now. But, well, yeah. but darts then was, you know, it was like a, a regular occurrence going to the pub, not not having sport on on the telly. Having television in a pub was very rare. Yeah. A dartboard was your entertainment, wasn't it? Or shove hatney, yeah, yeah, or things like that. But yeah, I can you, remember you, you were saying that, that, that there's a sort of line from this, um, from Indoor League as well, isn't yeah. it? Which was Fred Truman um, with his pint of beer in his pipe, um, <laughs> yeah. watching people play s- skittles, skittles and shove yeah. hatney and and bar billiards and things like that, which is a little bit before Bullseye. Um, weirdly, that's been released on DVD. Wow. <laughs> yes. Because I mean, they've, ta- they've cherry-picked yeah, yeah. cherry um, uh, uh, something that's still popular in the psyche, and they've gone with the, mm. the board game. They've gone with the but, yeah, I mean, Sue said about uh, Big Break as well, uh, um, Snooker. Well, technically although, she said give us a break. No, Neil said give us a break. Yeah, um, that's probably what she said. Yeah. Though, though we, bl- we blame Neil for you ordering give yeah, us we, a break. We now you give us a break on DVD. What is give, give us it's, a break? It's a sitcom of kinds, a comedy sort of drama with, um, I don't really know much about it because we only just got it, Robert Lindsay, T.P. McKenna, a very young Paul McGann. Oh, that's right, yeah. And... Um, Various Shirin other Taylor's people. Oh, Shirin Taylor from Coronation Street. Alexi Sales in. Yeah, Alexi Sales in it as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's it seems to be about a snooker player in Liverpool. That's all I know at the moment because yeah. we haven't watched any of it. Okay, so, not heard. I've never heard of that one. No, but it's, right. yeah, it's it's it's. I, I I do not know what accent T.P. McKenna's doing. I don't think he knew either. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a dart story. Okay. I if you ever seen me play darts, Warren. No, I've never seen you play darts. You didn't know no. that I once played darts. No, I didn't know. Uh, well, when I say I once played darts, I stopped playing darts when I was at the youth club at Wimbledon St Giles. Um, I was dreadful at darts, um, but we there was a they'd organised a tournament. It was doubles tournament. It was me and somebody else were teamed up. He was very good. Yeah, I was pretty rubbish. <laughs> Um, so you know he he'd be scoring you know sixty to a hundred ish. I'd be like one five out the board. <laughs> um, but somehow he was good enough that he compensated for me, and we got through to the final. Wow! Yes, I'd, I'd never been in a darts final. Yeah. Now this is only a village, yeah, you know thing. So it's not not anything to write home about. But um, he was again in the final round. He was doing all the work, and I was just getting sort of twenty here and there. And we got to the point where we needed 50 um, to win the entire tournament. I go up to the hockey. Hockey? Uh, up to the hockey. I throw, I hit a bullseye. Bliminette. Wow. I, wow. I stood there. Time stopped for several seconds as I couldn't believe what had just happened. I scored a bullseye and we won. Wow. We got a little trophy. Yeah. I got to keep it for a week. 
or whatever and then you had to hand it back well the next tournament well, i never played never darts again after that because i was never going to beat that left on that, <laughs> that, that leave that in people's memories wow. leave them wanting more as pert we might have said yeah I love- and I, but i could not believe that i'd done that i don't claim any skill it was mm. My flailing about had happened to flail in the right direction in a one in a million chance. Wow! So, so that was it. So that yeah, ne- never more. Never played darts again. Or well, not. Not that any, I let anybody see anyway. Well, <laughs> I have to get. A, I have to get a board in now, Warren. Yeah, <laughs> well, I have to get a board in yeah. now. But before we do go, yes, catchphrases from Bullseye. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Go Let's then. go through them. Can we get a catchphrase? You don't get two. You don't get anything for two in a bed. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, now you put me on the spot now. Oh. I can't can't, look can't beat a bit won. of bully. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Look what you could have won. Yes, yeah. yeah. yes. Oh, hello, Rose is running past. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's your here's your bully. You yeah. wanted yeah. to say briefly one about set design, didn't you? On bullseye. Yeah, how basic it was. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Well, I mean, the first this this is the first episode here. Yeah. And uh, they obviously they haven't spent that much money on it. No. Because uh, this is still an ATV production at this point yeah, so this has been uh, so it becomes yeah. central when central central takes over do you think then that they were going for okay this is a first series let's see how it goes yes i think yeah. it's very much that that um this might work or it might not but if it doesn't work we haven't spent too much on it yes yeah. because it looks as though it's got bits and pieces from other game shows brought in there. yeah um uh, do you remember a game show called master spy on ITV. No. No. I remember. That? Is that uh, William Franklin? It was William Franklin, yes. Oh, blimey. Yeah. That's yeah. all I know about it, though. And there's, what did that involve? Um, I can't remember. This is the thing, and I cannot find anything on there to remind me. What they had to be spies and carry out missions, I think, okay. to win, win prizes. But that's as far as it goes. But we're looking at the set at the moment, and that is very much the set they used to sit behind uh, right. on the desk and master spy. Okay. Um, and that, sorry, that just jumped, me, jumped well, into no, my no. head there. Yeah. Oh, I like the fact he's got this bloke's got Alan and David on a sticker <laughs> yeah, on his chest. Yeah, but so they've that, all got stickers yeah. with their, both their names. Yeah, on so it. that Jim knows who <laughs> the bloke uh, throwing the darts is. Yeah. It's, it's almost like saying to Jim this way up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do remember Jim's wonderful rotating board oh, of Jim, questions. Jim's yeah. priceless, isn't he? Yeah. Being but then again, Jim, Jim's got. You know, he's a professional yeah. with his sort of stand-up routine and stuff. I mean, you mm. were saying how he tells a brilliant story about the dreadful contestants. I don't, I don't want to go into too no, much detail. But in, it's but on just, YouTube just... if you're interested in seeing it. But, um, yeah, he tells a story about uh, two contestants who disappear in the first round and they dis- uh, discover the free bar. Yeah, which no, is... there was meant to be a barman serving yeah. you, wasn't there? Yeah, but they went home sick. All right. So they okay. had unlimited alcohol. So what happened was um, they thought they'd flunked out. They won twenty pounds, <laughs> <laughs> and um, then you have the two oh, other Spelkin Comitant. Oh yes, there you are for, for ten pound or something. <laughs> <laughs> you said that was quite difficult. That's yeah. quite difficult for a ten pound question. Yeah. Any, anyway, back to your story. So the two the two other sets of contestants all win some money, but they don't want to go for the star prize. Right. So they have to stop recording and go and find these other two contestants the dart player and the non-dart player by which time they're absolutely slaughtered <laughs> <laughs> and they're plowing black coffee down them and all they've won is 20 pounds and they don't want to give up their 20 pounds right. they just don't want to give up their 20 pounds at all and 
and we're not going to have a show if we don't get these people on. <laughs> so the the producer comes down from the box, bribes them with another twenty pounds. Yeah. Says, "Look, your quid's in. You're going to win. Keep your twenty pounds. Yeah. You won't lose your twenty pounds out of my own pocket." There you go. So they they roll on to the set, still steaming drunk. And Jim goes, "Well, well done. You you, you let's let's just recap. You won twenty pounds." And they went, "No, we didn't. We won forty. Well, he's just given me another 20 around the corner to come on. <laughs> it was the unbroad- the only unbroadcast episode. No, they, they, they just couldn't, couldn't show it They then. couldn't show it. It was oh, so yeah. bad. And they didn't win the prize because they were so drunk, the darts went off the board. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I would just say that before we wrap it up, that, yeah. um, you were saying about people scoring sort of fives and ones and stuff. Mm. And uh, so I used to watch it with my parents, and my dad would always say... Why are they going for the 20s? Because yeah. they never hit the 20s. Why don't they go for the 19 mm. and all the ones at the bottom, yeah. which could add up to more? But obviously, the cameras folk If they did that, mm. they'd have to probably reshoot it because the camera's always focused on the top part of the... Absolutely. I don't know why I'm doing this with my hands because you can't yeah. see. That's right. The I top see. part of the... Lisa's demonstrating camera angles. ...dartboard, yeah. which is the, the five, the 20 the and five, the one. Five, 20 and the one, yeah. yeah. They must have right. at least five multi-cameras here because hmm. the shots were getting they, at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because they don't know... Where it's going to go, do they? So let's just see, because you've got the wide shot there, and then oh yes, they've actually yes. When he throws the dart, they cut. They cut you to don't where, see where it's going. Yeah, where it lands. Yeah. Now that's a that's a good point. I'd not thought about that. Yeah. So they they've got they leave the dart in situ, then put the yeah, camera angle. There's on. a wide shot, and then several. Because mm. you can't. That's the thing. Because it's a game show. Unless you know, you can't edit it in afterwards. <laughs> they they've got to. That's the thing. They they say where they're aiming for, so but there's also the, right, I'm going for history. Now. Yeah, I'm going. So for, the camera's gonna go, sort going to sort of roughly so know where it's going. But if they if they, it'd be good now if somebody could miss in this next shot, so we could see what <laughs> they happens. They never smash any miss. of the panels, do they? Yeah. Well, they did miss. Oh uh, no, no. Spelling. Yeah. Instead. So yeah. So the, the camera would have probably been aimed. Yes. That that, that that's. That's that's worth watching for, actually. They're, they're, so know. that's going to be an ex- a quite an expensive show to do then, if it's well, multi camera. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't well, you got one on the ground board. You got two on the contestants because you got mm. the wide shot and then the single shot, yeah. and then you got one on on Jim with his cheap. Oh, with his <laughs> tungsten darts days, and his chalk the, yeah, holder. The days yeah. before you had bully. Oh, we should say about the the the, <laughs> oh, dear, the consolation prizes as well. It's real Al Murray, isn't it? Because it it's is, a yeah. tankard for the gentleman and a goblet for and the lady. And a goblet for the lady. Because the, rule, the rules are a pint of beer for the gentleman oh, and a glass of wine or a fruit-based drink for, for the, the lady. lady. Yeah. And that's exactly what they get. And a so, chalk holder. And a, yeah, the chalk holder. That the chalk falls out of. Yeah, the second one hasn't got any chalk in it, has it? Yeah. <laughs> Would so, this idea work today, though? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Because they it's have, been they redone. Have, they, they have redone it. Oh, yeah. Was it Challenge? Challenge, yeah. Because Dave Spikey did it. Yeah. And didn't, was it Vernon? Fernand K did it for something. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you did Family Fortunes but there is, as well. And slaughtered there back. is a title yeah. sequence with Dave Spikey's head looming in yeah. instead of Jim oh, Bowen. I'll show you that yeah. later. Well, yeah. all I can say is you can't beat a bit of bully. Yeah. That'll do. Thank you, Warren. Bye. Bye. It's only a game, so put up a real good fight.
Hello. Hello. We're back with an we addendum are. to our addendum. Yeah, we're going to have some addendums. Yeah, we meant to talk about Big Break, but we, we sort of... We got distracted, distracted by Give Us a Break. By Give Us a Break. Yeah. Um, yes, Big Break is sort of, I guess, the BBC's attempt to do Bullseye. Oh, a Bullseye type or thing. Or a Bullseye type thing. With snooker. Um, I just sort of did a sort of quick look at it, and I right. was amazed um, how long it ran for. Mm-hmm. Because it ran for something like 222 episodes, that's right, yes. Gosh. Running from 1991 to 2002. Right, okay. Okay, so mm-hmm. snooker game show, as we yeah. said. Yeah. Um, but the first episode's directed mm-hmm. by Nick Hurran. Yes, who's more known for dramas and comedies and yes. things. But Nick Hurran started off directing Telly Addicts, mm-hmm. uh, Never the Twain. Yes. Uh, he only seems to direct the first episode of Big Break, according right. to IMDb. I don't know mm-hmm. whether that's that's right or not. Okay. But he did Boone, yeah. uh, Outside Edge. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cricket. It's cricket, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's a comedy drama. Yes. Um, the remake of The Prisoner in 2009. But okay. his Doctor Who episodes, uh, yes. Day of the Doctor, Angels Take Manhattan, Asylum of the Daleks, God Complex and Girl Who Waited. All good stories. So there you are. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Whilst Big Break's running, I think mm-hmm. the BBC have tried to have a sort of another bite at the cherry, don't yes. they? And they think, oh, could we do a successful game show that's based on uh, golf? Yes. And the answer is no. They um, can't do a successful game it was show. rubbish. <laughs> because this is the infamous Full Swing, mm-hmm. isn't it, Lisa? It is. Now, yes. do you remember seeing Full Swing? Oh, I, I think I may have seen a couple of episodes. Yes, yes this is... Yes. Uh, Jimmy Tarbutt. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Jimmy Tarbrush again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a few issues ago. Uh, Jimmy Tarbrush. Buck. <laughs> Get it right. Get it right. And it runs for uh, the a very long run. It runs from the 25th of May 1996 to the 27th of July 1996 okay. and gets pulled. Mm. Um, very poor ratings, apparently. Right. They did record a Christmas special, but right. they never broadcast it because the series was so badly received. <laughs> it was received. that awful. Uh, there is an addition knocking around on YouTube if you really want to yeah, go and, and it's look. It's breathtaking in its illfulness because the, yeah. the, it's got really rubbish animation in the opening title. Yeah, the animation is shoddy. Um, I'm sorry. And, and the opening shot is... Tarbuck dri- drives in, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, on a golf cart. But he doesn't start driving until the music stops. Well, so he's well, not already driving when it starts. Well, he yeah, actually he sort of waits cuts to, start... to the studio. Yeah. He's sitting in a cart and then he starts it up. Yes, yeah, so obviously somebody waving at him to start driving. Yeah, and, and and cue cue Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, ho. <laughs> That's my Jimmy impression. Right. Anyway, we better get a shift on because yes. I've looked at the edit right. and this episode's going to be extremely long. So okay, let's stop. Yes. Sorry. Better not faff anymore. No. Uh, now part two of the interview that Warren did with us yes. a long time ago. Now. A long time ago. Yeah. And then we'll be, ago. And we'll, we'll listen to that and then we'll yeah. be back. Very shortly. Bye. So, what impact has a presenter had on you that you 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 feel you know you'd like you like that person you'd like to meet that person? Mm. I would always. I haven't seen him on the adventure game. I'm not so sure now, but. Johnny Ball for me. I always Johnny Ball. You know, he's he's a great presenter, even if he doesn't actually know what he's talking about, which he plainly doesn't. I haven't seen him on other things. He makes it sound like he does. 
and he okay. sort of makes it an engaging subject. So yeah, Johnny Ball for me. It's so hard to narrow it down to one for me um, because um, there was an awful lot of, and, in, and indeed, as you said, watching the adventure game back, um, there was an awful lot of very good science presenters when I was small, and probably their combined effect was to, you know, get me into science. So people like Magnus Pike, James Burke, Patrick Moore, you know, all the all these people who Heitzwolf, who who were all a bit strange, it has to be said, um, but they were also very very clever. <laughs> um, I mean, having read some of Patrick Moore's biography. I'm not sure I'd <laughs> I'd agree with him politically about everything. No. But he was a very good presenter. Presenter. He's engaging. At getting across enthusiasm. Yeah. And that, that was the thing, to engage the the the, the, the viewer mm. at home that what he was talking about was, was interesting. I think Patrick was interesting because he was very good science but he was an amateur. That's the mm. thing. He was actually an amateur astronomer. It wasn't, you know, a profession for him. But then he he was also he he had a very good sense of humour. He'd appear on the goodies. Yeah. You know, mm. you could always rely on him to do something silly on the goodies. And he was also musical as well. I never was. Sorry, but he could play yes. the xylophone. And that to me seemed a very good combination of traits. Wasn't he on record breakers, wasn't he? Quite possibly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean I'm, I'm yes, I would disagree with Patrick about some, some things, things but mm. in terms of actual presenting he, you know he was he was very good and i always looked forward to the sky at night you know because it was only on once a month yeah. so it was a treat actually yeah. you know you, 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 it wasn't over overused i think so so do you think um 70s and 80s uh experts uh like patrick uh were more eccentric than they are now with I I, th I think there was less concern with sort of pres no, well, appearance, I think. Because, uh, frankly, most of those people <laughs> I've named are a bit shambolic. Yeah. In, a bit shabby. <laughs> in terms of how they're turned out, yeah. aren't they? They're yeah. not yeah. pin-up people or anything like that. No. The, the thing is, what are, do they know what they're talking about? Yes, are they engaging to listen to? Yes, I mean Magnus Pike. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you, you, you see him on on, you know the few things because we've got him on a few Who Done It yes. and things like that, yeah. and his presentation style is extremely eccentric. Yes, but it's it's not put on. That's Cause, just because as a kid you would pick up if somebody was putting something on mm. i think if somebody putting was, on wackiness if somebody was trying to be wacky yeah. or eccentric mm. you can tell you'd see through that mm. i think even as a kid whereas these people that's the way they were they i mean lisa are scientists all strange yes oh <laughs> Even I could see that one coming. I was hoping you would defend us a bit. That doesn't make you, you wrong. I would yes. say that they're all a bit eccentric. Um, you don't have to be mad to be a good scientist, but it does help. But it it doesn't hurt. So do you think audiences will accept idiosyncrasies like that now, um, or would they just go, "Oh, somebody just trying to be"? mad for the sake of being on telly I, I don't know I, I, I generally don't know because you have the problem now that um, things are more designed by committee aren't they there's l there's less room I think for individuals um, and unique 
individuals, and that is possibly a shame. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. That, I mean, this, yes, you've got some very good science programmes um, being being done now. Um, but, but all the presenters are a little bit more smooth. Yeah, but they, more they are a bit more professional. And maybe that's the way things that's have the way to things be. things are now. Because yeah, I, I, I don't know. think but people I, I do lament, accept it. I do lament the, the, the sort of mixed bag of... Of, David Bellamy's. Yes, of, 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 of oddballs mm. that were allowed to have half an hour on, on telly <laughs> on a regular basis. Yes. And here's the dream mm. question just to round up. Mm. Which episode from any series mm. that you could ever think of that is missing mm. would you like to see again? Ooh. That's always, a, that's always a the single Willy Wonka episode? question, isn't it? Single episode? All right, then go or, for a series. Go for a series. Or, I'll be story. Go for a series. Um, Lisa, no? I'd go for Ace of Wands. Um, uh, oh, the Mister Stab sort of story. Um, all right. Is it seven, seven serpents, serpents sulfur, serpent. and salt? Yes. So that's yeah. That's yeah. that. That is allegedly very good. Very good. I, or just anything from series one or two, so that you've got some Tony Selby mm. and Judy Lowe, because yeah. you've got a lot of most of all of series three, haven't you? But yes, not, series three nothing is complete, at but all. Nothing from, from series one or two. One or two. All. So I just yeah. thought it from series one or two, just to see selves. Mm. Really, I would, uh, I would love to see um, episode twelve of Dalek Master Plan. Oh yeah, that too. Just yeah. to see. see I, I was avoiding Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, all right. Ooh. Just to see whether it's as good as it sounds. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's apparently done on film, and just to see uh, Gene Marsh. Gene Marsh's sort of ageing scene, mm. yeah. um, just to see how well. That, that's the thing, because because you've heard this on audio, you don't know whether it it's going to be as good as your imagination. Your imagination, I don't know. Interesting, you say that. I would like to see Kevin Stoney's mm. death scene to yeah. see what his expression is when he's killed. Yeah, but then astonishment. But then yeah. I've said, having said that, I would absolutely love to see the feast of Stephen as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it might be dreadful. <laughs> it might be dreadful, but. It's funny. But yeah. given that all the paperwork seems to indicate we'll never see it, mm. um, I just want to be, that paperwork <laughs> to be proved wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. Are you, are you, you said you'd quite like to see the massacre as well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. The massacre you know. um, is, is, is a solid piece of It's not piece, jolly, but... Uh, um, mm. But, yeah. I think Master Plan's got those two com- completely different episodes, yes. which are from the same story. Yeah. yeah. But I just... About six weeks apart. Yeah, and yeah. I think that with deadly contrast, isn't it? Yes, yeah, they're so utterly different, but yeah, they're so close to each other. Yeah, so yeah, th- those would be mine, I think. Thank you, Mr. Warren, for yes, interviewing thank you, Warren. us. It was very yes. nice of you and interesting questions. Now we know what it feels like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Most weird. Um, just a very quick update to yes. the last bit of the, the previous bit of the interview section mm-hmm. where we said about Emu's Pink Windmill Show yes. and you couldn't remember, remember the, name the name of the, of the robot. robot. Yes. And it is? Robot Redford. And who told you that? Russell, my nephew. Russell. Russell Pingelli. Thank you, Russell. Who, who you is a. Be- 
who is a listener. He was a listener, and you may be hearing from him in the future. We should interview Russell because he he likes his uh, he classic telly, doesn't he? Does. he? Yes. Um, but as we said, yeah. we better get a shift on. Yeah. So um, we will now have a piece about mm-hmm. the BBC series Angels. Yes. And we're very pleased to have a, another guest voice. Yes, a new contributor. As Mr. Paul Ebbs. Yes, talks about angels. Talks about angels. So here he goes. Hello, I'm Paul Ebbs, and I'm here to talk about one of my favourite TV shows, Angels, which ran on the BBC from 1975 until 1983, and also to bang on about why I think it's one of the most influential and socially important programmes of the 1970s. TV loves a good medical soap or drama, doesn't it? Once you excise all the police procedural, sport and reality shows, what you're left with is a bunch of medical programmes and the odd episode of Doctor Who. The BBC has three medical series of its own that run for most of the year, as well as straight dramas set in the medical world. Hello, Dr Foster, and trust me, it's bums on seats, tastic and big business. And expressing personal interest here, two of them I've written for over the years, Casualty and Doctors. Sidebar, I was very pleased that Doctors had a doctor in the title because that was 50% of the show I really wanted to write for. Anyway, UK medical soaps like Doctors, Casualty and Holby City these days mix realistic depiction of illness and their moral dimensions, their gore and their pain, with soapy, ongoing stories of love, life and disappointment for their regular characters. On the drama side, as opposed to soap, because soap and drama are not the same thing at all, both trying to do entirely different things, you also get the hard-nosed, hyper-real, high-octane drama in a hospital setting. This sort of started in the UK with Jed Mercurio, writing as John McCure, creating the genius series Cardiac Arrest, through to Jed Mercurio, writing as Jed Mercurio, his brilliant series Body, to the complete change represented by the almost real-time Critical, written by Jed Mc... Hang on, does anybody else in British TV write the stuff? No? Just him? Okay, moving on. But it wasn't ever thus. In the 50s and 60s, the medical soap was just as popular, but shows like Emergency Ward 10 were entirely different beasts altogether from their modern-day counterparts. Here it was the medical fantasy, where doctors and consultants were gods performing hourly miracles, and their acolyte nurses only nursed until they snagged a doctor to marry, or they could leave and do the ironing for a living. Everything was cosy and paternalistic, and sexist, and jolly and lovely and spiffing, and sexist. They were like carry-on matron without the double entendres, and any depiction of the slog and grind of being a nurse was almost completely glossed over. These were the days only nice young ladies nursed, carrying on the tradition of Flo, the lady with the lamp. Selfless girls who epitomised the vocational nature of nursing. They were clean, sprightly, and loved the job to its very starched apron and frilly cuffs. And at this point, I have to declare a second interest. Apart from being a writer, I'm also a nurse. A psychiatric nurse, to be precise. I left nursing in 2001 to write medical soaps for the BBC at Doctors, talk about Busman's Holiday. So the depiction of my pre-writing profession has always been of interest to me. Anyway, back to the 60s. Here was the fantasy NHS being presented as a world of rosy optimism, dashing doctors, demure nurses, and absolutely no one was plopping a coughed-up lung into a kidney bowl. So when exactly did reality splash down into the middle of medical drama? (laughs) 
Poultry horses, not yet. Right, where was I? Oh yeah, lungs being coughed up into kidney bowls. However, while Emergency Ward 10 was still peddling the impossible dream NHS, a couple of important things happened. In 1966, Dennis Potter wrote Emergency Ward 9. He was a writer of rare brilliance who spent a lot of time in hospital because of his crippling psoriasis, who recognised that audiences were being shortchanged by medical soaps. Real hospitals were not at all like how they were being depicted on TV. He recognised, as a dramatist, there was a rich vein of social dissonance to be mined with his writing. One of the many intentions of Emergency Ward 9 is to point out the difference between the cosy unreality of the image presented by the medical soap on TV and the reality of the coughing, racist, bowel-opening, privacy-invading, illness-raddled hospital ward. As W.S. Gilbert says in his Potter study, Fight and Kick and Bite, the characterizations of nurses as angels and patients as nobly suffering are equally romanticized and idealized and perhaps merit a more prosaic representation than the soap opera can portray. Oh look, that word, angels, there it is at last! Cutting to the chase, stick with me, because there is just one more stop along the way before we get to the subject of this piece. Three years after Potter's Emergency Ward 9, playwright Peter Nichols scored a huge hit with his play at the National Theatre entitled The National Health, or Nurse Norton's Affair. In it, he went one stage further than Potter and had the soap opera NHS come alive on stage amid the blood and the pain and the reality. Here it played out as a mirror of and resonance on the stark reality of a hospital stay. I must now apologise as again I have to declare a third and last, I promise, interest. I acted in a production of the National Health when I was at Drama College, playing one of the fantasy doctors from its small screen fantasy soap of breathless, sexy nurses and dashing doctors. Yes, I did say I played a dashing doctor. Stop laughing at the back. Nichols' play, The National Health, was another important step along the way to finding a method of presenting hospital life realistically, in a vastly different form to its hackneyed soap opera portrayal. It took a few more years to filter through to mainstream popular telly, and as independent TV was only interested in continuing the fantasy with Emergency Ward 10 morphing into the afternoon soap of General Hospital, it was left to the BBC to pick up Potter and Nichols' baton and try something new. Whether they were influenced by the US network's hit MASH, I have no idea. That was a comedy, of course, not a drama, but had realistic, dramatic elements. Predictably, it only had one woman in it, and she was a neo-nymphomaniac. And as a show, it was much more about rebellion and iconoclasm than anything medical. Enter Paula Mill. It's typical that I started this talk by praising male writers for laying the groundwork for more truthful explorations of medical drama, when without this brilliant and largely overlooked TV writer, there would be no angels at all. Milne left school at 15 with no qualifications and eventually turned up at ATV as a script reader via secretarial college and art and film school. Male writers in the 60s just seemed to go to Oxbridge and then ask for a writing slot, and they got one possibly on the Wednesday play. Milne, being a woman, had to do it the hard way. She eventually started her writing career on soap such as Crossroads and for children on Exploration Man, before getting a script reader's job at the BBC in 1975. There she pitched the idea of Angels to producer Ron Craddock, initially as a documentary, but then after discussion and tweaking as a drama. <laughs> 
Angels was the right show at the right time. It landed squarely in the middle of a decade where social change was one of the prevalent themes and right for representation on the small screen. Even Doctor Who, that bastion of the screaming dolly bird, saved by a man, had feminist companions by this time, and as such the notion that nurses were just NHS doctors' handmaidens was ready for dispelling in the popular drama sphere. Milne's writing, according to her BFI biography, had always put women's representation to the fore, and here in Angels she created a workplace precinct drama where every single lead character was a female student nurse, each swallowed up by a huge, forbidding South London teaching hospital. I'm convinced, although I'm sure there are people out there who tell me different, Angels was just about the first non-crime workplace drama to deal exclusively with characters who were neither thrusting boardroom executives, hello power game and plane makers, or set in middle class legal or media workplaces, exemplified by shows like The Main Chance or Compact. In fact, it wasn't really middle class focused at all, and that was a real change for this kind of drama. Angels reeks of difference from the first episode. For a start, it's a medical drama that doesn't begin with a medical problem or a punter about to fall down a manhole. It starts with a real contrast to what we might expect. It's telling us it's focusing on characters rather than hospital action. This is a drama which wants to tell stories about the women in and out of their uniforms from the off and give each end of the continuum equal weight. The first character we see, Maureen, played by Erin Garrity, is a bar Irish girl. We can tell she's from BBC Ireland because there's a car from the 1930s and a boy walking a donkey on a piece of string. Maureen's getting ready to leave home and she's not sure about the commitment she's about to make. But her mother, who was forced to give up her nursing career to raise a family, spends time on reassuring her. In opposition to this, we see Patricia, played by Fiona Fullerton, a pretty upper-middle-class girl buying horrible, unsexy nurse shoes in upper-middle-class bath, saying goodbye to her upper-middle-class daddy in their idyllic upper-middle-class mansion home. We know she's BBC upper-middle-class because her daddy is played by Geoffrey Palmer. This contrast is to show us the egalitarian nature of the nursing profession in the modern 70s. No longer the province of the demure and sparkly girl from a well-to-do family who hasn't yet harpooned a husband. Patricia's soon to go down to that dirty land and tan to become a student nurse. And you really rather fancy her dad would prefer her to become a secretary, or married, or fetch up in emergency ward 10. But as Patricia says, it's not up for discussion, daddy. Then boom, we're in the gloomy Nightingale Ward of St Angela's General Hospital in Battersea, and there are rows of grim metal beds full of ugh, men. Such is the allure of male medical. Surely now, though, we're going to get some nursing that is utterly glamorous and eyelash fluttering towards frightfully handsome doctors, or some spiffing falling in love with sad but hunky patients recovering from rugger injuries. Nope. We get cherub-faced Joe, played by Julie Dawn Cole, rubbing moisturising cream into an old codger's inflamed elbow. Joanne Wally greasing Michael Camden, who is desperately thinking about the most boring thing he can to stave off a case of priapic euphoria. It isn't. 
but it's also as far away from emergency ward 10 and general hospital as it's possible to be. Setting our focus on the students was Milne's genius with angels. Whereas you'd expect our previous nurses to glide along serenely and fragrantly, wafting their deliciousness under the noses of the nearest doctor, but were also portrayed as professionally complete, the finished article, so to speak, all having that practical air of someone who knows the right thing to say at the right time every time. No, in Angels our focus characters are flawed and scared, unsure or as in Patricia's case full of bravado built on the quicksand of their anxiety. The tutors think Patricia is just a poor little rich girl playing at nursing. Maureen is filled with guilt about leaving her home and her mummy. She's homesick and unhappy. TV nurses before Maureen were only disaffected with unrequited love or jealousy. They were never unhappy with the job of nursing. That was a no-no. Every girl wanted to be a nurse or a secretary, didn't they? As the series unfolded, the strains and pressures of training to be a nurse were explored. The exams, the tensions with the tutors, the failures of assessments. This was no recruiting video for the NHS in the sense that it made everything look wonderful or Vaseline smeared. In fact, the only Vaseline smeared thing you'd find in Angels would be glinting on the colonoscopy tray. And it's that sense of reality that sets Angels apart. One of the best scenes in the first series is the student nurses all sat around the table in the canteen, smoking and bitching about other nurses. Nurses smoking, nurses bitching, fabulous. When I became a student nurse in the late 80s, that was every lunchtime, every day. The documentary style of the initial Angel setup is reflected in the way each episode centres on one or two nurses. Rather than being the kind of ensemble piece we'd be used to with something like Casualty, where everyone gets a look in, it allows themes to be explored fully rather than zooming by at 2,000 miles per hour. In an Angels episode, the camera follows one or two nurses around, telling that particular story with depth, allowing it the time to develop. The writers went to hospitals in London and Manchester to get a feel for the environment and to spend time with student and qualified nurses. Accuracy was at the heart of and one of the great strengths in the show. So was the fact that out of the ten writers on the programme, six of them were women, not including Paula Milne, quite an innovation for a mainstream adult 50-minute drama at the BBC. This use of writers like Adele Rose, Anne Varley and Jill Hyam brought a freshness to the series and a different attitude to writing women in the 70s. As Adele Rose said in an interview with Joan Bakewell for the Radio Times, the documentary style of the show really clicked for her when she realised Angels wasn't about nurses' love lives. And although some of the characters have boyfriend and lechy doctor trouble on occasions, it's contrasted by the thread of nurse Shirley Brent. She's lonely and awkward, formal and restrained. She failed her exams at another hospital, so has to come to St Angela's to reset them. She's not a footloose and fancy-free nurse. She's taken a knock and is battling her own internal demons while trying to save face. She's complex and full of pathos. And that's another of the defining characteristics of Angels as a drama, the complexity of the female characters, and the stories of anxiety, depression, alcoholism, sexual promiscuity, and in later years, a gritty realism that drew considerable complaints from the nursing and political establishment. They really didn't like this unflattering portrayal of the profession. Here, I think the old adage really holds true. If you're making some people unhappy with the art you make, then you must be doing the right thing. As a nurse myself, even one who was too young to enjoy the series when it first arrived, I really do value this uncompromising portrayal of my particular coalface.
In later years, Angels dropped the 50-minute episode format and became a twice-weekly soap, overseen by producer Julia Smith and Tony Holland, and pretty much became a dry run for EastEnders, which they would go on to create in 1985, when the BBC decided a twice-weekly soap opera was the thing missing from the schedules. Well, it had been missing for two years when they cancelled the twice-weekly soap of Angels. So, wrapping up, if you want to see Angels for yourself, it's a little more difficult. Simply Media have released the first two series on DVD, but have not followed it up with any releases since 2014. There are seven more series to follow. Like many long-running dramas, it was shown on UK Gold in the 90s, but unless you recorded it, I didn't stupidly, you've got very little chance of seeing anything outside the first two years. There are a number of tie-in novels of fair to middling quality. I was disappointed to see that some of them focused on boy trouble for the main characters, which which kind of goes against the ethos of the show. There were three world distributor annuals as well, 1977, 78 and 79, with various comic strips and fictions. Where they are better than the novels is that they do include interviews with people like Ron Craddock and the actors, plus character notes, and in one of the annuals, an angel script for you to act out at home, Julie Dawn Cole, not included. At the end of the day, Angels was a groundbreaking piece of television created by a brilliant writer which treated women in the workplace in an entirely new and fresh way. I highly recommend Simply DVD releases, and if anyone can help me out with the UK Gold episodes, let me know. I'll bite your arm off. Thanks to Lisa and Andrew for letting me invade their podcast for a while. See ya. And Angels returns next Tuesday evening at 6.40. Thank you very much to Paul for yes, that. Thank you, Paul, for a very interesting article. Yes, it's lovely yes. when we get new people on board. It's brilliant. Yes. Um, Paul was quite keen to do that Angels was, piece, yes. I think. And yes. that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I would say if there's anyone out there who's very keen on doing a piece for us, please yeah. don't hesitate to yes, please contact us. Contact us on, on either Twitter address. And, or, yeah, uh, or Facebook. Or Facebook. Yeah. And yes, we will quite happily say yes because the more yes the more people we've got the, yeah. the, the more interesting I think this yeah. podcast becomes and yeah. frankly the less work we have to do yes. so that's even better yes. <laughs> but you've got the angels annuals I have. haven't you yes. and you track them down for I, I track them down it wasn't really that hard they were on I just, eBay like, no I, or was it Amazon eBay? I think oh, right, okay might be on eBay as well and just want to say a couple more things yes about them mm-hmm. um You've got one there which has been annotated, haven't you? It has you? been annotated. So which one's this? This is a 1978 annual. Yeah. And it's got um, a cover picture with um, four of the nurses on. Mm. But there's some profiles inside. There's what, some profiles inside. What's in an angel's name? Yes. And, 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 and some and bits the on the actresses as on the well. Actresses, yes. And what's in an angel's name? This is talking about four of the nurses. Mm. So this is... Um, Joe, who's played by Julie Dawn, Julie Dawn Carl. Sandra Ling, who's played by Angela Bruce. Shirley, who's played by Claire Clifford. And Maureen, who's played by Erin Geraghty. Mm-hmm. 
And this this person, I'm assuming it's um, a girl because Angel's, it was probably seen as more of a girls' program in those times because it's about nurses and nurses are girls mostly. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, basically on this, in what could possibly it's either crayon or felt tip. Um, besides, because there's pictures of them as well, it has been written, I like her. Or? Or I do not like her. So who do they like? They like Joe and Shirley. Yeah. But they don't like Sandra or Maureen. All right, okay. And they've, they've, they've expressed this fact by giving Sandra and Maureen a green nose. <laughs> and also a blued out tooth. Yeah, okay. Yes. Fair enough. So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Jumping on to the back to the first annual, um, mm. the profile on Julie Dawn Cole has a rather unfortunate uh, type of graphical error spelling mistake. Yes. Julie got a break playing in the musical film. Well, I think they were going to attempting to spell Willy Wonka and yes. the Chocolate Factory, but Expe- they seem just they, f- they spelt Wonka without any O's, yes. but with two A's. With two A's. Now I know. Yep. Now I know um, the film, you know, wasn't terribly well received by Roald Dahl, but no. there's no 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 need to call him Willie, yeah, Whatever. what they've called yeah. him. <laughs> they 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 correct they correct that for the later annuals, I believe. Yeah. But um, the thing about the thing about the uh, production stuff, there's a, yes. there's an interesting production diary and notes yeah. from Ron Craddock's mm-hmm. um, sort of diary about which, which I have to say. Mm, has a picture of the nurses in smiling in t-shirts with angels across their chests. Yes, of course. Yes, just to compliment the fact that it's something but, a little bit, you but know. But yeah, like April 1974 discussions between Bill Slater, departmental head and controller of BBC One about the possibility of a 50-minute series of documentary dramas about student nurses and it goes all the way through to September 75, uh 7:20 p.m. on the 1st of September the first episode of Angels goes on the air. Mhm. Now, Ron gets an interesting uh, profile. There's even yes, a picture of him. a picture of him, yeah. Ron Craddock, producer-director of Angels and born in London in 1933. He left school at 14 and worked as an office boy, then as a shipping clerk. So right. good factual yeah. stuff. You yes. Know, that's, that's very yes. good. Um, compare with some of the entries for the actresses, for the actresses though. actresses, yeah. Leslie Dunlop. Yes. Honey blonde Leslie Dunlop with a head turning 35, 24, 35 figure. Mm. Yeah. yeah <laughs> why don't, why you... don't we know what Ron Craddock's vital statistics are? Because they're probably all the same. <laughs> <laughs> Just like 32, 32, 32. 32? He's not that thin. My trousers are 36. <laughs> I bought I bought some trousers this morning you and they did, were thirty six. Yes. Yeah, so there's there's one of my vital statistics anyway. <laughs> um, you said about um, wanting to be a nurse, though. Didn't I did. You? Which when, surprised I was, me. when I was a child, mm. well, when I was when, on when, the point of leaving school, yeah. I'd sort of I don't know why I don't know what I'd seen that had encouraged this idea. I thought I'd like to be a nurse, right. and when I left school, I did. Um, a couple of well, yeah, a couple of weeks. I'd done work experience because you did work experience placements in an, in a care home, and quite enjoyed it. And they, after I left school, I went back as a like a YTS kind of thing. Right. But while I was there the second time, I just found I didn't enjoy it as much, so I didn't go down that path. Right. But seeing angels, I can sort of feel a little tug. Mm. But yeah. that's like a. 70s nurse kind of thing. I think it's very different yeah. now. You said um, Paul's article changed your mind a bit in terms of identifying yes. the characters. Yes, because when I watched it, I watched the first series 
and I identified most with um, Shirley Brent's character mm -hmm. because she's I sort of know how that feels cause the fact that she doesn't have many friends and they she's referred to as being plain because right. she wears glasses basically yeah. um, and she's not plain she's just she wears glasses it's like this whole thing of um, men that men don't make passes that girls for girls that wear glasses or at girls that wear glasses and it's just yeah and then you've got sort of like Julie Dillon Kyle's character who is fine she's you know but she's bubbly and blonde mm. and they all like her and that, you know honey blonde Leslie Dunlop <laughs> um, and they're all a bit dismissive of her as well right. they sort of don't take the mickey but they because she's a bit of a loner and she finds it hard to make friends yeah. they don't engage with her right. but having heard Paul's article it's made me appreciate that I can actually watch it now and think oh, actually yeah they're not that bad it's just that's that's the way the characters are written mm. um, I mean I'm now four episodes into the second series yeah, you've been and watching it a lot whilst I've been in the bath haven't yes. you on a Sunday night yeah, yeah. yeah. And I hear that I hear the end music and it's time for me to come out of the bath isn't it <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting series, yeah. and I would just say Paul mentioned that um, it it doesn't focus on the patient so much, mm. but there is one episode where they do that. What you just recently watched, where, which I've just recently watched, called Legacies, right. and they show the patient before they go into the hospital, right. and then they show her in the hospital. She's a, she's a drug addict, so they basically she's not a very nice character, but they show show her before so it's, it's 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 almost like casualty and you know you, I mean you're not sitting there guessing what's going to happen mm. like you're doing casualty because it's usually like always oh, going to fall off a ladder or he's going to get run over by a lorry or something um so yeah that's one episode where it's very different and there's some by PJ ha there's one PJ so Hammond? far by PJ yeah yeah, yeah. And when so, PJ Hammond's name come up, yep. I said to you, oh, is this one about like a ghostly Victorian <laughs> nurse that drifts through the ward at midnight yeah, and it wasn't. Um, singing nursery <laughs> rhymes? And it was nothing like that. No, so no. just because it's by PJ Hammond yes. doesn't mean it's strange. No, no unless, it's, unless it's Ed Cars. Yes, that's true. And then it is strange. Right. Anyway, yeah. uh, as we said, uh, let's get a move on. Mm -hmm. And for our final Biggie article, yes. um, we're going to look at raffles. Yes. So over to us. Yes. See you. Bye. We're back. Hello. 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 And Lisa is here. I am. As always. Yes. And I live here. So. Yes, that's good. And you wanted to do raffles for yes. our final article, didn't yes. you? And the reason we wanted to do this particular episode of raffles. Which is? Which is to catch a feast. From? From? The 15th of April, 1977. Yeah. Yes. It's because it features the late Robert Hardy. As a guest star. As a guest star. Mm -hmm. Giving the most extraordinary performance, mm -hmm. more of which later. Yes. Um, so we thought it rather than 
focus on something obvious like all creatures great and small. Yeah. We do something that people where he was a guest star. Where he was a guest star and that people have not necessarily seen. And if it encourages people to watch Raffles, it's all the better. Right. So what's Raffles then? Raffles Tell is, me what Raffles is. Raffles and who is a, Raffles is. Raffles is a crick- cricketer. Mm-hmm. AJ Raffles. Mm-hmm. A cricketer. And a thief. Okay, but a gentleman a thief. A gentleman thief. Yes. yes, he's an amateur cracksman, right. which basically means he breaks into stuff. So he's in sort of society, yes, shall we say? he's upper this middle is, class. This is late Victorian society? Late Victorian, yeah. yeah. So, sort of so sort of contemporaneous with Sergeant Cork, isn't it? It is. It's a little bit later than Sergeant Cork, I All think. Because right. there's um, a reference to um, Queen Victoria's Jubilee at yes, one point. Yes, 1897. All right, okay. uh, at the, um, Yes. Diamond. But but to catch a thief, what's yes. this is episode eight of the yes. series. So what's this what's the actual story here? The actual story is there are um jewel robberies mm-hmm. happening, which Raffles hasn't actually done. Yes. But he's getting the blame for. Mm-hmm. Inspector Mackenzie of the Yard. Yes. Who is a bit rubbish. He's a bit rubbish. He's the worst policeman you've ever seen. Yeah. Um keeps coming and asking Raffles where he was on this particular occasions yeah. and Raffles hasn't actually done these things because he has this sort of for once for once normally it is him it normally is him but he has this rule that he doesn't steal from people he's staying with yes because it's not polite yes he's got a sort of code of, he's conduct, got a code of conduct which I think we yes. ought to get back to later because yeah. Robert yeah. Hardy sort of doesn't pull, pulls him up on it yeah. but um, um yeah so so he decides to try and work out who the thief is mm-hmm. now how does he do this he does this by getting lots of of copies of the morning of the papers the morning post the morning post and going through the papers and trying to work out if there was one particular person at all of these events where something's been stolen well there was more than one person at all of these events but you know what I mean one but, person but in no, common yeah but he how, how does he eliminate other people oh yes um nobody old the aged the aged the rich the rich and, and the, the feminine, feminine gender, gender. Ladies now why, don't steal. Why can't the feminine gender be, be because, doing this Because then? they're ladies and they're fragrant. But, pardon? And they do, do <laughs> stuff like that. Okay. And because he's a Victorian gentleman, much like um, Adam Adamant, Adam Adamant, who will never believe, even when it's blatantly obvious that the woman he loves is a bad person, mm. just doesn't believe it. But yes, so Victorian yeah. gentlemen in fiction never yes. believe bad of ladies. No. No. Okay, fair enough. Ladies are perfect, fragrant, okay. and wonderful. <laughs> fragrant. <laughs> I don't know. It's not in smell o vision, so no. I couldn't tell. Um, but these stories are adapted from original short stories, yes. aren't they? And they're, they're around the same time as the um, Sherlock Holmes stories. Mm-hmm. And actually. Um, but they're written by E.W. Hornung. Hornung, who is the brother in law of Arthur Conan Doyle. Right. He was married to Arthur Conan Doyle's sister. And in many ways, they're quite reminiscent of the Sherlock Holmes he's, stories. He's sort of the anti-Sherlock Holmes. He is sort of the anti-Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's, got a ten, he's got a lot of a sort of attention to detail yeah. and precision, which, which shows up in this episode, yeah. going through the list the list of people. Of people yeah. and, but, which apparently the police have not been able to do. Well, yeah. they don't think of stuff like yeah. that, do they? And, but he uses it for a life of crime instead of a life of solving crimes which is what Sherlock Holmes does but you notice when you read the stories they're written in the first person mm-hmm. and the narrator is Bunny no, Bunny is, is he's his friend Bunny Manners yes 
Who, who, his old fag from public school. Fag from public school, which basically means he did everything for him. Yes. As Roald Dahl once said, he warmed the toilet seats. Yeah, from, toasted his crumpets. Toasted his crumpets and all that sort of stuff. Because <laughs> John Pertwee was at Sherborne School yeah. and he didn't like the fagging no, system. No, he wasn't very good at being a fag. Because no. he got thrown out of Sher- Sherborne School. He got, he got school thrown he out of several, several like, schools. toast crumpets and no. things like that. Well, no. Yeah. I think he considered it against, uh, against his dignity to cr- yeah. toast crumpets for other people. <laughs> Make your own crumpets yeah. was his, <laughs> was his uh, thing, wasn't it? Yes. But yes, these, uh, these the sort of raffle stories fall into two halves, don't yes. they? Yes, yes. There's three books with mm. short stories and one novel. The first book is him in his heyday, mm-hmm. as it were. He's living at the Albany, more of which in a moment, and he's able to mix in society and meet people and steal stuff. Then in the last story in that collection, which is The Gift of the Emperor, which they they did televise, um, he is discovered to be a thief and he apparently dies. Mm -hmm. But he comes back in... uh, I can't remember what the story's called. It's not in this book. Never mind. Um, (laughs) He comes back in a story and that story was written before... Conan Doyle brings back Sherlock Holmes and it very much looks like it it influences the way Conan Doyle brings back Sherlock Holmes. So instead of it being the other way around, it's reversed. Um, And from that point, obviously he can't live at the Albany because he's not really a gentleman anymore. (laughs) So he has to live in lesser circumstances. It's all a bit darker and all a bit more sort of grubby. And and this is when To Catch a Thief is set. Yes. But in the television series, Philip Mackey, who is the writer of the episodes, again, more of which in a moment, yeah. very wisely decides to junk, um, jettison all that and just I, keep it in I the mean, theme I, of I the early the short story of To Catch a Thief in the bath this morning. It yeah. didn't take me long. No, they're not very and frankly, long. frankly, there's, there's not 50 minutes of television no. in it no. by any stretch of You can see why he's had to change it and put other things into it. And quite frankly, the resolution of it is, is poor. In the book. In the book, yeah. yeah. The television episode is much better. And yeah. um, I will warn you now, if you've not seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, yeah. stop listening now, <laughs> go and watch it, and, and then back. come back. Yeah. Because I am going to spoil it. Yes. Because I have to, to talk about the story. But let, let, let's just say, you said about the Albany. What's the yes. Albany, where the Albany he lives? Is the apartment was, is the block for... It's apartments for bachelors. Okay. And it was um, built in 17... 17- from 1770 to 1774. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it says by the Duke of Albany. Right. But when I've looked it up again, it says it was bought, built by Sir William Chambers for the newly created First Viscount Melbourne. Okay. But then I think Fred, Prince Frederick, Duke of York and Albany, he's the one that marched all the men up the hill and down again. All right. <laughs> uh, abandoned Dover House, Whitehall, and took up residence there. So they changed it to... The Albany. Okay. In tribute to him. Yes. In 1802, the Duke of Albany gave up the house and it was converted by uh, Henry Holland into bachelor apartments. Mm-hmm. Now, to even to this day, it still exists, still stands. To get to live there, and it's very exclusive and very expensive, you have to be accepted by the committee. Oh. So you have to be a certain kind of person. Uh, so we wouldn't get in there. No. no. Ladies are now now to, allowed to live there, <laughs> but no children under the age of 14. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Don't so. mind that. But yeah, it's, it's just off Piccadilly, and some of the apartments owned by Peterhouse College, Cambridge. Okay. Now, the, the series makes it to television in, a, first of all, a... A sort of one-off yeah, thing in pilot. 1975. 1975, yeah. Um, and we've got Anthony Valentine. 
as Raffles. As Raffles and Christopher Strawley, mm-hmm. um, who's probably quite H-A-P-P-Y playing yes. Bunny Manders. I, knew, I was going to do that joke. Yes. I know. But you said um, it's rare to have Anthony Valentine in a sort of, well, it's, I'll say sort of he, he, hero role. He's an anti-hero. Role. It's still not quite a hero no. role, is but it? But normally he's an out-and-out villain, Anthony Valentine, yeah. or he's not a very nice person because he's in Callan as Toby Mears and he's really not a very nice person. And Colditz as well. And Colditz as, as a Nazi. Yeah. yeah. But then they actually go for the series a couple of years later yes. in but I assume that they look, they saw the ratings on it and decided afterwards, but it just took a little while to actually get it into production. Yeah. There is a later so. production starring Nigel Havers 2000, in 2001, yeah. which we haven't seen. No. Well, I, I did look on the internet and no copy seems to no. be out there. So, But but the 77 series, I have no memory no. of watching. It was no. made by Yorkshire TV. Mm-hmm. And as we said, um, it was scripted by Philip Mackey. Yes. Now, we just should say briefly about Philip Mackey. Philip Mackey's wrote an awful lot of stuff. Yes. yes. He is um, granddad to Pearl Mackey. Yes, who is the, <laughs> at this moment, current Doctor Who companion. Yes. But he's written for quite a few things that we've got in our collection yes. that we really... We've got a lot of Philip ...that Mackey's we really like. He's things. Um, Dramatised um, The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Which we love. Which is really good, yeah. including um, Horse of the Invisible. Which is brilliant. It, which is You should really watch that. It's a great fantastic. story. Yes. It's got um But he's Donald also Pleasance. creator and writer for Mr. Rose as yes. well. Which we do like. Yes. Yes. Um, Even if some of the latest stuff is not good. But yeah, Edgar Wallace Mystery Theatres from the very early 60s. Um, even things like the Cleopatras, would you believe? All right, okay. Um, armchair thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Raffles is one of his sort of major things, I think, yes. really. Um, yes. I remember our friend Nick was very excited when some stories came out in the early 90s yes. on video. Mm-hmm. I, I said, I, I think Nick was the first person to show me Raffles. Yes, and, probably, and me as well, yeah. Probably for you yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, this, this, this episode, To Catch a Thief... Uh, Robert Hardy's the sort of main guest uh, star. Main guest star. You do mm. tend to get one, one big guest star, don't, guest star, yes, don't you? Yes. And you said there's a there's a link with not this episode, but um, uh, to, there's a link to Angels with the yes. episode Home Affairs. Yes. Because um, who's in this? Who's in that one? Uh, and I'm Erin Geraghty. I think that's how you pronounce her name. And yes. she's in Angels as yeah. Maureen. Yes. And in. Um, the episode of Raffles. She's Jane. As Jane. She's she's basically in charge of taking the coats and hats. <laughs> and Raffles charms her. Yes, but yes. Home Affairs um, oh, has got Graham Crowden yes. being absolutely and, brilliant. And if he goes so far over the top, Is he, he meets the home, himself home on the other side. In there? Yes. Yeah. There's a there's a scene where they've locked him out of his house and he's banging on the door and he's like, bang, 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 it's me, the master. <laughs> and there's an extraordinary bit there where... Um, Bunny gets trapped in the house. All right. And Raffles sort of has to try and go back in to get him out. Mm. And, and he's, he's in he's a hiding cupboard. hiding in a cupboard and in, in plain sight. Yeah, and Mackenzie... I mean, Mackenzie's got no peripheral vision. He'd make a great Doctor Who monster. Because he's literally... You, you could um, you could probably see him at the corner of your eye, really. Now, this is Inspector Mackenzie, as played by Victor Karen. Victor Karen, yes. In the original episode. In the pilot. Uh, pilot yeah. episode. Who's Inspector... James McKenzie. Maxwell, who's doing in various things. Yes, doing a very strange yes. Scottish accent. I think he's trying for Edinburgh. Is he? Yes. Okay. Because he's looking out the window at one yes. point, and there's a there's a ladder, there's a, a rope, rope there's a rope, a rope isn't yeah. there? And yeah. he, he he does something like, um, "Hello, 
Is it hanging over a window? And is this the most extraordinary <laughs> thing? I would say James Maxwell came from Massachusetts in America. Yeah. So doing any accent that's not your own is probably quite difficult. <laughs> but he's also in a Father Brian episode where he does an American, a really weird American accent. Okay, maybe um, accents but, aren't his thing. But he was American. That's all right. You should be able to do an American accent. Okay. But yes, getting back to, anyway, to Catch yeah. a Thief. Uh, so Robert Hardy's been doing all this... All this stealing. Stealing, yes. Um, yes. He, he's playing Lord Ernest Belleville. Yes, and he's um, an anti-drink um, campaigner. campaigner. So Ra- apparently rational he doesn't... Drink. Rational drink. Yeah, he well, doesn't he, drink. Well, he supposedly... Supposedly. I did say apparently. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's his sort of front for sort yes. of respectability, mm, yes. isn't it? And to be able to go everywhere. But yeah, he's going to all these parties and yeah. nicking stuff, and nicking basically. Stuff, yeah. Now, where does he hide it? Um, he hides it in an Indian club. Yes. Which is in hollow, his, in his, his bedroom. In so his he, bedroom. Um, yeah, you unscrew the top and stick all your loot in and then yeah. screw the top back on. Because Raffles sort of picks these up and notices yeah. that one's not yeah. the same weight yeah, as the other. Yeah, they're different weights. One's lighter than the other. And he also knows that's the room where he's hiding the stuff because it's yes. got a stout bolt on... On the door. On the door. And yes. there's a there's a ladder... Outside. Outside yeah. for a quick, quick escape. escape. So this yeah. is what I mean about Raffles' sort of eye for detail, yes. isn't it? It's, a, it's yeah. the sort of thing that... Sherlock Holmes would pick would up pick on. Would pick up on, yeah. 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 But yes, um, so basically, Raffles gets into his house, though, by posing as... As a journalist the first time. Yes. Yeah. And then he gets back in again because the... the it's, uh, well, the, they get discovered, don't they? they? Get, well, yes. Yeah. But yeah, he gets back in by posing again as, the, as a journalist and saying, I think he says he's left something behind or he's waiting for him or something. But yeah, Robert Hardy comes back. Yeah. But he's waiting for him to come back because he's got a proposition. Yeah. To make, but then he makes out he's from Scotland Yard. He makes out he's from Scotland Yard. Yes, he does his policeman voice. But but Raffles um, Mm. has quite a few sort of disguises and characters. So again, it's like Sherlock Holmes. Because isn't he the postman in one, and then and he's the tramp tramp or or something? something, So it's that wonderful, you know, thing. It's a good excuse for an actor to play lots of lots of different parts and dress up and, and do voices. Yeah, yeah, but is is one as the um as the reporter's quite good because it's quite sort of blunder, meek and blundery, yes. isn't it? Um, yes, because it is... gives him an excuse to knock stuff off and check out what what cards sort he's got of, on yeah, the on the cards and you things, know, yeah, what yeah. invitations he's got basically. So, but yes, um, then he he sort of as posing as the policeman, he then mm. goes off. Yes. And leaves Bunny, Bunny in charge, yeah. which is a recipe for disaster. But no, that, that's, this is what but he's planned it, to do, isn't it? What he's yeah. planned to do, yes. Because he thinks yeah. Bunny's going to take a bribe, yeah. but in the end he just gets clonked on the head. He does, yeah. But is it by the Indian clubs? Yes. Yes. Okay, which... Um, uh, and then Robert Hardy then... Doesn't he make a, an anonymous phone call Yes. What, to Scotland yeah, Yard? What, what he does is, um, before he does that... He's, there's a bed, there's a bathroom in the bedroom, and he shuts himself in the bathroom. But he opens the there's a there's a um, a door onto a balcony, which which is where the ladder is. And he opens that, and makes it look like he's escaped out of the window, out of the window, out of the off the balcony. But he hides in the bathroom, so he overhears them talking yes. as themselves and realizes and yeah. realizes that he's yeah. been duped. So he makes an anonymous phone call to to Scotland Yard, mm-hmm. who raid. And tell them, tells them that the loot's at Raffles. Yeah. They raid Raffles. Because Mackenzie, like, turns the place yes. upside down and yes. doesn't find anything. Yeah. They, he raids his flat and doesn't find anything because he's already given it to Bunny to hide. Well, he, he's, well, he's, he's given he's, him some packages. He, he's put it in sort of the post. As, yeah. Well, he's given it to Bunny to post, although yeah. Bunny doesn't actually post it. He just no. puts it in his pocket yeah. and walks off with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on, 
um, Robert Hardy turns up at the flat. At the flat. Yes. Um, yes. With a gun. With a gun because he's a cad. Yes. yes. But then he, he he does make the. I mean, they they say sort of um, Raffles and Bunny um, that he's sort of like a cad and a sneak and a was it yeah. telltale tit tell, and tell, things. Tits, yeah. You know, it's not the done thing. Not the done thing to 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 to, to, to grass up. Oh, grass yeah. up somebody else. Yeah. Yes. But Another then, gentleman. But then, as as um, Robert Hardy sort of says that mm. you know it's all a bit hypocritical anyway because mm. he's a thief. Yes. So you know, yeah. It, yeah. it it you know the he is on sort of shaky ground morality yeah. wise anyway, yeah. isn't he? That but yeah, you still you still want him to get out of things, Raffles. Yeah. yeah. It's a really weird sort of thing. But eventually, yeah. um, yes, Robert Hardy's sort of holding him at gunpoint. Yes. And, it's um, Raffles' cricketing skills come in because yes. he, he he chucks he's, a cricket ball. He's going to shoot him. Yeah, yeah, he chucks a cricket ball at him. Yeah, clonks him on the head. Sort of Robert Hardy spins round and yeah. manages to shoot himself, doesn't yes, he? Like you do. Yeah, yeah. And in the um, original story, he just yes. falls off a roof, yeah. doesn't he? In yeah. A, you know, yeah, in the middle of a thunderstorm, mm. which is a impossible to do. Well, you could do it. You it just wouldn't it. be very convincing. And B is a bit dull. Because one thing Raffles yeah. uh, does suffer from occasionally is mm. unconvincing night filming, oh, yes. isn't it? Yes, there's, it's, there's, it's all, night it's all shot on OB yep. video. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a few night scenes where they're clambering over roofs yep. and things like that. And, and the, the, the night sky is very blue and bright yes. for, for night, for isn't night. it? Yeah. But I can see why they've done that, because you don't really want your lead actor climbing over roofs at night. At night, no. Likely to fall off and break your leg or his neck or something when you're filming. Mm. But this whole sequence you get in the TV yes. episode... It really adds to the episode. Um, they then face the problem of how do they get, get the, bo- the, the body, body home. Yes. yes. So basically... Because um, they can't be discovered no, with a dead body, no. in there. So he phones Bunny up, he gets Bunny to come over. In evening dress. In evening dress. And they put his hat and coat on. Yeah. And they basically make out he's drunk. Yes. Now, they have the thing, they've got to manhandle him down the stairs. Yeah. To the, where the porter is. Yes. Get a, a cab mm-hmm. to get him home. Yeah. And Robert Hardy must be laughing his head off in yeah. the outtakes. Because it's so, it's... Yeah, it's really hard. Because he's got this monocle, hasn't yeah, it? And, and it the, keeps on falling out. I mean, the monocle falls out all the time anyway. Yeah, it, it, even during the whole of the episode, yeah. he's doing like monocle acting, Yeah, he's isn't doing it? an affectation with a monocle where it will, he'll, do, he'll pull a face and it'll fall out. Proper actory business, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Yes, I bet he loved that monocle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then now he's got, because he's, he's acting dead, he's got to be all floppy. Yeah. So every time they don't hold <laughs> him... His sort of head goes. His or head it? goes, and his hat falls off, and and then they notice there's a bit of blood on his chest because the, the cab driver cab goes. He's got some blood on him, and, and, and his, his head sort of lurches down, yeah. doesn't it? Because they've called him Algie, Algie as well. Yeah, they've just yeah. made up a name yes. for him, Algie. Yeah. Uh, don't look, Algie. You'll, it'll make you feel sick yeah. or something. Because <laughs> I say he's fallen over and knocked himself, yeah, or something. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, they get him back to his flat. Mm-hmm. He's doused in whiskey, isn't it? Because he really does drink whiskey. He does whiskey. They douse him in whiskey. They take him back to his flat. Put the jewels in his one hand. The last set of jewels he stole in his hand. They keep the rest, you note. Um, And put the gun in his hand. As though he's been overcome with remorse remorse and shot himself. And shot himself, yeah. And then Mackenzie comes in in and discovers him. him. And that's how... So, yeah. The, the, but the final wrap-up scene is Mackenzie goes goes back to Raffles yes. and tells him yeah. about this, and then they start 
sort of moving all the furniture, all the furniture around. About. And Mackenzie's, what, what are you doing, Mr. Raffles? Well, this is how you like it, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you, you put it all yeah. upside down earlier, yeah. so this yeah. is obviously how you like it. Yeah. And you said you feel a bit sorry for I Mackenzie. I felt a bit sorry for Mackenzie. It's the only time I've ever felt sorry for Mackenzie. Because he's, he's actually come to apologise, really. Yeah. <laughs> and Raffles can't resist rubbing yeah. his nose in it a little bit. But yeah, I mean, but it, yeah, it's it, a great fun it, story. It's, it's a very good episode. Um, yeah. Possibly one of the best. I'm not yeah. sure because they're all pretty strong, as they to are. be said. They are. I mean, it, some it, of them it, are more light-hearted than others. Yeah, it, it's got a pretty good hit rate. This series, yes. um, just 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 in terms of storylines and in terms of guest guest artists as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. again, if you if you like your sort of late seventies. Yeah, get you know stars, proper yeah. actors. Yeah. It's it's full of them again. Yeah, because you've got um, Alfred Marks in an episode. Yeah, you've got um, Peter Salas. Peter Salas, yeah, in one, yeah. isn't yeah. he? Costume piece. He's a, he's part of the Criminologist Society. Tony Britton's in that one as well, isn't yeah. he? Brian Glover. Yeah, he's in the, he's in that one. Um, mm-hmm. Marina Sirtis. Yes, looking quite looking ye- very young. Young in that. William mm-hmm. Mervins. Yeah, um, in mm-hmm. in one. So mm. you know, it's 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 very good. John Savident. Oh yeah, John. Oh, mm. Gold Cup. I should say about Gold oh, Cup. Oh yes, you that's like what, the Gold Cup. I love the so. Gold Cup because yeah. um, he wants where to steal they, Gold Cup. That's where they go to the British Museum, yes. and he's disguised he's as an disguised old man, man in a bath. Yeah, and, in a bath. Bunny has to push him around in the bath chair. And I said yeah. to you, one day we should go to the British Museum, mm. and I'll, I'll I'll be in a bath chair, and you can push me around. And I said no. And you said no. <laughs> <laughs> don't see. Don't see why. Not. Oh, William Moore's the museum police. Oh yes, as well, isn't yes. he? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I said no because have you have you you've been to the British Museum re- recently? You know how packed it gets in there. Well, that's why I wanted to go in a bath chair. Yeah, what if I can just knock people over? Yeah, that'd be brilliant, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, oh, the chest of silver, yeah, that's... He puts all his stolen silver into a bank vault and apparently goes away. Oh, yes. And while he's away, the bank vault gets raided and all the stuff's stolen. Well, that's got Trevor Ray in it. Yeah, and he can't... Obviously, he can't... um, John Ringham. Yeah, he can't uh, report it stolen because it's stolen already. Yeah. But it's some really... Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> but it's it's a great series. Anthony Valentine is superb. Yes. And uh, Christopher Strawley's very good as well. Mm. And He's got a very good line in sort of slightly dim innocence, yes, hasn't he? Yes, yes. That's why he, I he, think that's why he's almost friends with him. Yeah, Because sort of, nobody would suspect a little innocent face n- like Vanny's. Nice, nice but dim, isn't yeah, he? He's, yeah, he's a bit nice but dim. Yeah. <laughs> Tim nice but dim. But, but yeah, it's a great series. That particular episode, Catch Thief, is marvellous because it's great acting from all of it. It's worth it just to see Robert Hardy as a dead body, which I know is slightly unfortunate as he's just died. Mm. But it's superb acting. Oh, and just to mention that Raffles um, still pops up to this day in Viz does, comic, yeah. doesn't he? Because yes. they do a, a sort of semi-regular thing, Raffles the Gentleman Thug. Mm. So he's terribly, terribly violent. Uh, but extremely well spoken. So there's there's a uh, he speaks in a very sort of roundabout mm-hmm. sort of way. For example, uh, could you ask them to address any remarks to my manual extremity, as my physiognomy does not appear to be listening at present. Mm-hmm. In other words, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It usually ends up in a punch up at some yeah. point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, but I do wonder whether the people at Viz are drawing on. The TV series, possibly, yeah, um, yeah, for for some of the inspiration, I don't really yeah. know, because I don't know how now well known the actual stories are. 
they're, they're relatively well known, yeah. I think. But I, um, I, I'd never read them. No, I'd yeah. never read them either. But yeah. we've we've now got them in book versions that mm. we can. That sounds weird. I, I should explain. I really had them on electronic book version, but proper now we book. have them in proper book version that you can hold. That you can hold in your and hand. And reading the bath. And reading the bath and dropping the bath. Yeah, if I haven't you... dropped them in the bath. I, I didn't say you had. Yeah, I dropped Arthur Lowe in the bath. I know you once. dropped Arthur Lowe in the bath. That's a long story, <laughs> and people are going to wonder what the hell that's about. But anyway, is this biography? Yes. Yes. Not, Not literally Arthur no, Lowe. That would no, have been a big splash. Been big splash. <laughs> And he'd have come up with his hat all askew. And his glasses, he? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going off the point here. Okay, anyway. but yeah. So to anyway, sum up then. Yes, Raffles. Uh, Raffles. Watch it. Oh, is that it? Yeah. That was a very good summing up. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's on YouTube or you could buy no, the no, DVDs. No, don't say YouTube. Right, no, it's... buy the DVDs. Well, be, be legal. <laughs> or watch an episode on YouTube and then buy the DVDs. Oh, wow. All right, yes. Okay. To get a, you know, a flavour of yeah. it. Yes, yes. Don't don't, don't um, rip it off. No, don't rip it off. Because <laughs> do know. the do the good thing. Yes, it's a good series, and people deserve to get like five p for it. <laughs> that much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you then. That'll, All right. That will do for for that one, and uh, that's just about this issue done, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've got at least a sketch to come. Haven't oh, we? possibly. So we, yeah. We, mm-hmm. we better do that. Okay. And, uh, there you go. Then see you soon. Then okay. Bye bye. Bye. Right, you've got an indeterminate number of seconds to remember what was on this issue of Round the Archives. Go. Oh, um, um, um. Oh, uh, there's a bit on the Generation Game. And generation Bruce Forsyth, Game, yes. Um, 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 and Bullseye. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Neil and Sue Perriman. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, oh, what else is there? Uh, continuity, continuity. Oh, the continuity, the continuity. Yeah. Um, um, oh, was Paul Epps on Angels? Yeah. And, and, and you, you did something about Angels. Oh, I did something about Angels. Yeah. Uh, and don't uh, forget the cuddly. Oh, it's Cuddly Warren. Cuddly Warren. Cuddly Warren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and well another done. Cuddly Warren. There's two Cuddly Warrens. Oh, are there? Right. Yes. Um, 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 oh, and we did that on Raffles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, and there was an interview with us. Oh, it was an interview with us. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, I've forgotten that one. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, didn't she do well? <laughs> That was episode 14 of Round the Archives, starring Lisa Parker and Andrew Trowbridge, with Warren Cummings, Sue and Neil Perriman and Paul Ebbs. On the musical side, you heard Dan Tate and Paul Chandler. The script for Raffles to Catch a Thief was by Philip Mackey and E.W. Hornung. And the producer was Jackie Stoller. This is a Norfolk Doug <laughs> Dyke Digger. Dyke Digger. Where is he looking at you? I'm oh, so sorry. <laughs>
Right, got to get it out of the system. I can't do it. I can see it. It's this long pole with a ladle on the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, are you... <laughs> are you ready to go? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, with fabulous star prizes, or give or take the odd booby. Is there a word missing there? No. Bloody around the archives. <laughs> Was it a good idea to open the episode with this? Rose has just stood on the words. <laughs> paper! Oh, lovely. Paper. Good, auditioning. Rose, start off, again off, now. off the paper, please. <laughs> Thank you. That was Rose's paper. <laughs>